Hey everybody, Hellabass here with episode number 42 of the Hellabass Podcast Experience, second to the last episode of 2020, and today's episode is a good one, I think. I really enjoyed recording this, I really enjoyed sitting down with Bradley Hellman, uh, longtime tournament pro. We cover a lot of things, we talk about the Opens last year, next year's 2021 Opens, uh, tournament fishing, his opinion on little boats uh, in the Opens, we spend 20 minutes talking about the little brown jig or the LBJ, a lot of other techniques. And about 90 minutes in, Brad really shares his thoughts on his career, his journey, and how he approached sponsorships and brand deals early in his career and making money as a fishing pro that I think most people that turn and fish won't want to miss. So make sure you stay tuned, stay tuned in until at least that far in the episode, and then we finish up with some YouTube talk. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, make sure you rate and comment and subscribe to these videos. If you want to see the video version, check out my YouTube channel. And as always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. Enjoy the episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are live. YouTube, Mr. Hallman, Bradley Hallman. Yeah. What's going on tonight? Well, I just got back from having dinner with the family, and they've all taken off next door, and I've got me and my dog sitting here in the office talking yes, to you. Yeah. Nice. No. And so, how many people call you Bradley versus calling you Brad? Like, it's, Bradley feels super official. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I started using that name, honestly kind of later in life i guess whenever through bassmaster just because it that's what it signed up through on my w9 i guess i don't know but <clears throat> it kind of stuck and then bradley stringer was there at the same time so it was just bradley and bradley and i just kind of roll with it i didn't care because everybody you know that i'd known so it's kind of funny now so like if somebody calls me and they call me brad i know it's somebody that i've known for a long time and it's probably not fishing related but if they call me uh, Bradley, then it usually is fishing related. But here lately, it's just been Hallman, like everybody calls me Hallman. Yeah, nice. Well, Darius says the the sound and video is good, so that's awesome. Good. Let's let's talk about the most important thing. Let's how about those Sooners, dude? Uh, that's a big deal for me. Uh, big Sooner fans here. Um, starting the season off zero and two, dude. If we can win a Big Twelve championship, we're good with that. Like I didn't care anything about the the Natty or playing in that playoff deal. We wouldn't. We wouldn't make it past game one. So um, it's been a good season. I don't really care what happens at this point. We've got a nice bowl game against Florida, but between kids that opt out and decide not to play and kids transferring in the transfer portal, and both teams are probably going to be somewhat of a shell of what they what they should be. And it's a COVID year too, so. For sure. Nice. And you said, didn't you uh, say you headed down to the, uh, the, the championship? Yeah. Yeah, we're season ticket holders, and um, – they gave us the option at the beginning of this year if you wanted season tickets because of COVID, they were only going to fill the Oklahoma Stadium 25% capacity, which is basically what they've done throughout a lot of the country. <clears throat> and my wife was like, hell yeah, we're getting our tickets. So um, we, we took all the kids and we went and, and all year. And then whenever the Big 12 championship game came up, we, we had the opportunity to get those two. So we, my wife and I went down there to that and kind of got some time away for kids for a couple of days last weekend. 
That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Break it up a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the Gophers. I'm not a huge college football guy, but they uh, they're kind of a disappointment after their their big season last year and their win over Auburn. They kind of came back to earth. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I guess let's maybe just talk a little bit about uh, for those of you who don't know. I mean, uh, Brad's background. He's fished at the top level or near the top level or around the top level for probably a couple of decades now. I mean, you were on the Elite Series for a while. You fished FLW. You've kind of done it all. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you've had some tour level wins uh, on FLW, uh, you know, quite a few regional wins on that AAA level for sure. Um, so if you guys don't know Brad, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, his background in a nutshell. You can kind of see some of the, the, the big hardware behind him there. Um, so, you know, he's, he's got a ton of experience. Um, last year, you kind of made up your mind to fish all eight opens and attempt to requalify for the elites and try to fish for blue trophies again. Um, Maybe just talk about like what led you to that decision. I know you talk about this a lot in BTL, but maybe kind of in a nutshell, what led you to want to do that again? And like kind of got where you kind of got back to, you know, want to do that again. And then like how last year went, I guess. Um, you know, obviously I was at FLW at the time. I'd spent six years at the elite series. And then I had three or four years that I'd taken off and, um, spent the last four years at the FLW tour and um, had some success there. And I was enjoying myself and having a good time. I, I liked, I liked the layout. It was, it was a friendly family friendly atmosphere and stuff. But anyway, all that changed. I mean, you know, MLF came in, bought FLW. Um, they had their system set up. It was going to be a two year system and the qualifications to qualify for the MLF. And um, the format just didn't really, I never was crazy about it. And, um, I'd been away from bass, and like I say, I'd had some success over there, and, and I kind of just had some things to think about. And, man, truthfully, you know, at my age, as long as I've been doing this, you kind of you kind of got to have some drive, right? Like, <clears throat> it's, it's not like when you're 25 years old and you're just ready to jump out of the damn truck and go get in a boat every single day, no matter if it's raining or snowing, sleeting, hailing, you know. Um, so you got to want to do it. And like I say, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to won a couple of black trophies over there on the FLW tour and um, I don't have any blue ones. And that Bassmaster Classic was a big part of it too. You know, I I don't want to be one of these guys doing this when I'm 60 years old. I probably got 10 years left in me. That's about what I think. And um, I want to go at it really hard for 10 years and I'd like to accomplish a couple of things and a blue trophy and chase that classic is something that motivates me and gets me out of bed every morning. And at the end of the day, that's honestly what it was. Dude. Does that make sense? You know, I mean, like I really needed something that just kind of pushed me. It wasn't anything negative about FLW or the MLF or any of that. I just, this is what I knew would drive me every day to get up and go to work. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I totally get it. Like, I mean, and every you know, every person that fishes, whether you tournament fish or you don't fish, or if you're in bass fishing, there's something about it, right? Whether it's chasing a PB or the swim bait guys or the guys or the, the gals or anglers that like to catch them on ultralight. I mean, there's different things that get us all motivated, right? And so you, you kind of got to find what what works for you. And, I, and that works on all things. I mean, it doesn't matter if you golf or you do rodeo or you play ping pong, right? There's there's usually something, <laughs> that is some kind yeah. of spirit or something you want to do. Uh, so that's, that's cool. Um, so you signed up. For all eight uh, mm-hmm. last year, uh, caught a giant right away in Florida. It looked like the season was off to a great start. Yeah. <laughs> maybe just talk about the season uh, and like how, what you like, how it went, maybe just high level, like, you know, 
I mean, it kind of felt like you were kind of doing decent and you'd kind of slip and you'd kind of get, but you never really like made the big jump to get right up there. I mean, that's kind of what it felt like from a distance. Right. And, and, and I've heard a lot of that. Um, you got to realize, man, I've been doing this and I fished against all these guys, mm -hmm. all those guys, in MLF, all the guys at, I fi at some point in time, I fished against all of them. And I know what I'm up against. And so, like, when I made this jump and it's going to the Opens and, hey, they're going to qualify, one, I knew there was going to be more competition this, there this year than there ever had been. Two, with the way the qualifying system was set up with just taking four guys out of each division um, and then with the four out of the AOY, doesn't matter. It's four guys basically out of 180 to 200 guys, depending on if you're talking about the Eastern or the Central. <clears throat> Dude, that's like 1%. It's less than 1%, I think. But it, it – it, maybe it's not. Maybe I guess it would be 2%. But – it's very, very, very small, the margin. And the margin for error is very small. And I know my track record for fishing for points. Like, I'm not a, I'm not an AOI points guy. I never have been, not even when I was fishing BFLs in Oklahoma. Um, I had a couple seasons that I led the AOI. I had one, I led it all the way to the very end. And, um, I, I'm really good at bringing out that, that suck fist. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And um, it's just – it's me as an angler. It's the way that my brain thinks um, – I do think that it's what allows me to have some success and win some tournaments too at times because I'm such a risk taker, but at times it burns me. And I knew that going into this, this season. So what I guess what I'm getting at is, it's like, yes, it may have looked like that from the outside, but I mean, going into the last event of this year, I had a mathematical chance of making it the very last tournament. I mean, I, I had to make a top 10 and I knew I probably had to make a top five. And when it was all said and done with, that's what the math basically came out to. I had to finish fifth or better, but I'm capable of that, and I gave myself a chance going into the very last tournament. So, you know, um, I knew it wasn't going to be a one-year deal. You know, I told my wife, I said, you know, this may be a two-, three-year deal to qualify. Like, this is not going to be an easy road. And um, and and I feel like I was right, you know. I mean, uh -huh. it's, it's tough to travel the country. It's tough to fish these sides of fields. It's tough to fish with guys that – I mean, these lakes, dude, they just beat them to oblivion because there's no off-limits in the, in, the, in the opens. So there's, there's, a, there's a good group of guys that spend five to ten days practicing, and those fish are seeing a lot of baits. And a lot of them have been just stuck. Um, it, it makes it very hard to pinpoint a place that you can consistently catch some fish come tournament time. It's hard to catch a limit. You saw that in the fall um, this year in the opens. It was, it was some tough fisheries and some tough times of the year, and it, it really was, it was hard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's all you can really ask, right, is to, to have a shot in the last tournament, you know, mathematically be in it. I mean, obviously, it'd be great if you, you were dominated and you were leading the points going the last one, but yeah, that's, that's nothing you can bank on at that level by any means. I mean, if it's you. Nobody, nobody can. I, you know, yeah. like, I've roomed with all these guys. I know them. I mean, Scott Martin was was on pins and needles going into the last day of the event. He, he'd had a pretty good year all year. Um, Jason Christie was, you know, had a phenomenal year. Uh, Brian New is a good friend of mine, you know, and he won the AOI. That dude was a basket case. Um, mm -hmm. He was a basket case even after he'd won it. Um, there's a lot goes into this, and everybody realizes that it's it's very difficult to do. And, um, you know, those guys that are kind of one percenters, you know, Jason Christie and Scott, and, you know, the guys that are just kind of that one notch and have been forever, it's – it's hard to beat those dudes day after day, man. They catch them every single damn day, you know, and it, it, it just doesn't leave much room for error. But going into 2021, you know, they, they've changed it all. So 
you know, it's uh, it's going to be three divisions and, and the qualifications are going to be a little bit different. And, and that'll change some things, too, because anytime you go to three tournaments, then a little bit of luck gets involved, you know, and you just hope that the three that you do really well enter in one division, you know, and, and that can happen. Um, you can also do three really well, maybe in three different divisions and just not your day, but at least we have the overall as well going into 2021 as, too. So we'll be able to play both sides. Yeah. The, the three guys that make it in the overall this year for nine tournaments are going to darn damn sure earn their spot this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's going to be, I mean, that's basically being, I mean, that's the equivalent of basically finishing top three in the elite AOI nine. You know I mean? Like it's, I mean, maybe not quite the same level, but you're going to compete against more guys more locals like I, I it may be even tougher than you know what i mean like you could make an argument either way which one would be tougher uh from that respect it um it, it's tougher and then in a way it's easier what 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 ends up happening with three tournaments is is that there's there's so always going to be like 40 or 50 guys that fish all three if that but yeah. oh you're talking about the overall a single division yeah i mean that because the, the you know the information rules and the practice there's much less restrictive and open. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have one on your home pond and a buddy helps you on one and you, you run into him on the next one. Right. I mean, like, that's right. That's right. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of anglers that, you know, fish one year in the opens or two years in the open and the, the, the three lake rotation hits their wheelhouse and they make Correct. it. And then Correct. sometimes they go on to good ear, but more often than not, they kind of flare out because they're not ready. Right. I mean, it, I, I had a feeling that, they were going to that three division, which meant that they were going to do three tournaments. And golly, man, I was like, I can't wait to see that central schedule because I was, I was thinking about that wheelhouse you were talking about. I was like, mm-hmm. just, just, just like do a Sam Rayburn, Texoma, Grand Lake, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but yeah. that isn't what happened. Um, yeah, at least you got one on Grand. <laughs> we did, we did still get one on Grand, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of my very favorite lakes in the world, and, and we've got it at the very last event of the year, so. You know, if I can go into the end of the year somewhat like this year, I, I have a better chance on Grand Lake than I did sitting down there in uh, southern Alabama, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And the other one, Pickwick and then uh, Douglas? Yeah. Um, Bass's mapping system sometimes is a little different. So <laughs> Central Division includes two in Alabama. And, well, basically two in Alabama. Pickwick yeah. is Alabama, Tennessee. And then uh, and then uh, Lay Lake, is that right? That's not right. Smith Lake. Smith Lake in Alabama, which I've been there before. Oh, Smith. So mm-hmm. it's Smith. Is is Douglas is an East? Douglas is an Eastern, I believe. Or a, I don't no. know. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. So it's, all right. Yeah, but I think Pickwick. I mean, I just came back from Pickwick, and I feel like you'll do. I mean, you probably fish Pickwick. I feel like that's probably a not an uncomfortable place for you to fish. It's not, and it's a really good time of year. I believe we're there really close to the spawn, so. Um, I've had I've had some decent events there before. Um, the water tends to get high there, and flipping bites usually pretty good. There's there's some backwater stuff there that's big enough to play for probably this size of field. So um, I don't know if they'll let us lock or not. Um, I fished events there before. They let us lock up to Wilson. I don't know if they'll allow that with a bass event. Um, that's been FLW events that that I was able to do that before. Wilson's a really good fishery too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe they'll get rid of it. Then I won't have to worry about that stupid lock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the big field, I could definitely be tempted to lock. Yeah. You know, if it was an elite field or, you know, a smaller field, I don't think there'd be any reason to really leave Pickwick. But, you know, 
if you're trying to get away from the crowds, I can see that angle. Yeah. Maybe let's uh, answer one question here while we're uh, – uh, so Spencer Whitney says, what, what are your top three confidence baits? Mm. Top three confidence baits. God, man, I have fished so long. I, my confidence baits, anything I can get them to fight. But uh, <laughs> I guess I, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you going this. into your final event, what would be the three baits you would want to be on them on <laughs> in a tournament? I guess I'd like to catch them flipping a BFE. I'd like to catch them spinner baiting, and I'd like to catch them on a buzz bait. That's yeah, what I'd like to do for yeah. sure. Uh, so going, uh, I don't know. So you, you kept last year. I mean, you obviously you had a big house. Uh, it kind of moved around a little bit based on the division, but it was kind of you, Castle Dine, Upshaw, and Scott, and, and a few other people. Um, are you getting the band back together to some degree? Have you talked about it? Is, is Panger taking Scott's place? Like, uh, what's what's it looking like? There's some rumors on all that. I know. Um, but nothing's been nailed down yet. We've all talked. Um, I don't think anybody knows for sure that they're going to commit one way or the other. Um, Castle Dine, Upshaw's like me. He's he's in for everything, so he's okay. down for it all. Castle Dine's still up in the air, and he doesn't really know yet. Um, it may be just a division or so here or there. Um, Panger is Panger, man. I, I don't know. He uh, We've talked about it, I can tell you that, but uh, being in the house with us, I, I don't know yet. But um, Scott's even talked about it. I couldn't believe that. Like, like, like fishing the opens on top of the elites? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, He's he's made mention of that. He, he he was talking about that as soon as the last one was over. We went to dinner that night, kind of congratulatory celebration for for him making the elites. And he was like, "Guys, I'm going to be there next year. We'll we'll do the opens again." I'm like, I wouldn't. There's no way I would do that. But um, I guess he maybe a division, right? But all nine on top of that'd be that'd be something. Yeah, that's kind of what I would expect too. But um, who knows? You might see him. We might we might all be together in the southerns. Um, we'll just have to see. Banger would be a uh, a great asset in the house. I'd love to have him. Scott wants to know: Is Panger too wild for you guys? Is Panger too wild? No. Um, I'll tell you what I like about Panger. Panger, Panger, Panger can roll with anybody. Like you can take sure. him to a tuxedo dinner, or you can take him to a cow pasture on a tailgate of a pickup, and he can fit in both places. He's kind of a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's uh he's really not too wild. I like his energy. That's that's one of the things that I would be advocate. Yeah, about him. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of energy. I mean, like I say, he hadn't been on tour for ten or twelve, thirteen years, and so he's not he's not jaded. Like you want that guy that wakes up every morning early before the sun clock comes up and starts rummaging around, and it just helps you get up and get around. He's talking about fishing and how to get bit, and I mean that kind of stuff's good as opposed to. You know, the roommate, it's like, ah, hell, they didn't buy your I'm going to buy today. I'm tired. I'm going to sleep another hour. You know, you got to go out there and work and get it. And it just helps having that hungry, hungry blood in the house. Sure. Yeah, I get that. I feel like uh, Billy, I mean, on, on the channel, like Billy brought that kind of enthusiasm. Scott's funny, Billy. <laughs> Billy doesn't sleep much. Um, <laughs> he, he does go to bed a little earlier than most, but uh, he is definitely the first one that wakes up. And um, I, I I had a nickname for him. I probably I probably not gonna say it on here. But he he wakes up every morning. He's he's a very roll, dude. 
he is yeah. ready to rock when he wants he's going he's bouncing off the walls he's like he's singing he's doing all that stuff that that all comes natural that's not just for the camera now in in the evenings i'm telling you they don't feel me much because he's kind of he's kind of like my dog laying over here on the floor he uh he doesn't usually have much to say and he looks tired and worn out and his hat's kind of on sideways and he, he just kind of slumped on the couch kind of yeah yeah all that <laughs> stuff that you see that's generally am for sure nice. yeah uh one question we had was like uh, what what makes grand your favorite lake i wouldn't say it's my favorite lake it, it's 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 uh it's got some negatives to it too. Just the fact that everybody's fished there. When I say everybody, I'm talking about all the big tournaments and they kind of, they kind of ruined it, but um, it is the lake in Oklahoma that the majority of the tournaments want to go to because so like, no matter where you live in the country, you'll be able to relate with this. There's always one lake that tends to draw better. So if you're a tournament director and you're putting on a team tournament or whatever, if you can put that lake in there a couple times a season, then you know, that's going to be your best draw. And Grand Lake is just kind of that lake. The guys that live up there are willing to fish bigger money tournaments. Um, so for like myself, Jason Christie, Terry Butcher, we were talking about that. Guys that grew up here in this state, that thing was just on our schedule constantly. So like when we were fishing BFLs and team tournaments and all that stuff, it was just Grand Lake, Grand Lake, Grand Lake, Grand Lake, Grand Lake. And I mean, we'd fish tournament on Saturday, turn on fish one Sunday, fish one two more the next weekend, two more the next weekend. And it just, it became a rotation. I personally don't get to spend that much time up there now, but um, it's three hours from my house. Like it's Mm -hmm. not close, but it's just the one that everything went down on. It's where all the money was. And it's really where we all cut our teeth. Um, I know Jason feels the same way about it as I do. Um, We feel very strong and we try to protect that house when we're there, you know, the best we can. It's kind of where everybody built their street cred. Yeah, no yeah. Problem, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Like, we got a lot of pride in the street cred there because, uh, you know, we, we've got some great lakes. Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma is probably twice the size of Grand, and it's really good fishing. It just doesn't draw, and it's in an area of the state that the Chamber of Commerce just don't pay the money to bring in big tournaments. And, dude, it's a phenomenal tournament lake. I mean, it's, it's, it's massive, but mm-hmm. it, nobody goes there. And, um, we went there for team stuff and local stuff, but we would just get it once, you know, and each, each series that you fished, whatever trail, you know, we would fish three or four trails back then. And, um, each one of them would only hit it once. So Texoma, you might only get it once every two years. And quite honestly, Texoma is the best lake in this state. Texoma's powerhouse, dude. Hmm. It's got bigs in it. Well, the elites were there and Hackney won and you saw the size of fish he was catching. I mean, dude, that place has got donkeys in it. I mean, it's got, they put Florida's in it. It's, I mean, you can catch 10 pounder, 11 pounder. Like they're in there, not just one or two of them. There's, there's, there's a group of them. But uh, yeah, Grand Lake's a, Grand Lake's a special place to all of us here in Oklahoma for sure. Yeah. You're kind of either the Grand Lake, Grand Lake group or you're the Arkansas River group, right? Like you're <laughs> one or the other. Um, Robert says he's one of your, you're one of his favorite pros to follow. Uh, I've had a few people ask me this. Uh, have you been up to Minnesota? You ever fish in Minnesota? I have not, and I and I hate that I haven't been up there. I don't know how I didn't. So here's a little background. When I and I told you I had some Minnesota ties. Um, y'all remember Derek Remitz? Yeah, from Minnesota. So oh, yep. Grand Lake, and this is I don't even know what year this was. This was a long time ago. 
Um, I was young in my 20s, and we were fishing all those tournaments I'm talking about. It's in March, what you were talking about. Hey, when you live up here in March, you know, there's not much you can do. Well, there's this boat that keeps I keep seeing. And these are 500 boat team tournaments in Oklahoma, and then the BFL on Saturday, and then he's there again the next Sunday. And I just keep noticing this kid over and over and over. And he's a kid. Uh-huh. and uh, But he's cashing checks. And then he fished a team tournament the next day, and he cashes a check, and he's up there in the check line. And I noticed that the guy he fished with, I know him. He's an older guy that fishes nothing but co-angler basically here in Oklahoma. He's a really good fisherman. And Derek's teamed up with him. It was Derek's who it was. So I walk over and introduce myself, like, what the hell are you doing down here? You know, and he's kind of telling me the same thing you're telling me, like, there's not much to do. And quite frankly, I think of Minnesota as being a long ways off, but you boys can jump on I-35 and come south, and it's really not that like far. 10 hours. Mm-hmm. So he basically was coming down here to fish, and um, he liked to throw a jerkbait back then, and he kind of cut his teeth with that jerkbait there, and that's where he and I met. And then um, within a couple of years, we were both on the Elite Series together, and um, I think I was there the year before him. Uh-huh. And and then he he fished all the opens, qualified the next year, and then we were roommates for six years on the Elite Series. So I got my share of Minnesota uh, <laughs> background and watching hockey and and uh, that kind of stuff. But his his parents were heavily involved with him at the time and would come and go. And his he's got a great family base and support. And um, it was he was a great great roommate for six years. Do you still keep in touch with Derek? Yeah, yeah, I do. I haven't talked to him in a while. I know that he tried to call me. Like, it's one of those deals where, like, you know, when your phone rings, and you're like, shit, I can't get to it right now. And then, like, this time goes by, and you're like, damn, I need to call him. Damn, I need to call him. Damn, I need to call him. And, like, every time you think about it, it's a time like right now. And I'm thinking, damn, I need to call him back. And I still have it. So, but yeah, I do talk to him from time to time. I mean, he's, he's like, he's recovered. He's back to guiding again. I haven't really. Yep. Yeah. 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 He's fully recovered. Nice. Actually, so uh, I've met Derek a few times. Um, but actually, uh, I fished that, uh, the tournament he won on Amistad, I fished as a co. Really? Yeah. And my dad was actually at the time was wintering down there in Del Rio, uh, had like a fifth wheel and one of those campgrounds and stuff. So I, I like probably back then probably sent him a Facebook message or something like back then, like co's could practice. And I was like, Hey, you don't really know me. I'm from Minnesota. You mind if I jump in the boat? So I fished with him the last day of practice. Uh, and really? got to see that deep ledge bite he was on, yeah. Uh, and uh, that was cool. So I got to fish with him that day, and, and, and you know, watched him kind of like put the final touches on his practice before he won that event. So we cool. we were staying in a hotel right across from Diablo East, which is the boat ramp there, and that that hotel's closed now; it's not even open. But those beds in there were on CMU block walls, you know, blocks, you know, CMU yeah. block. There was no bed frame, and. Uh, yeah, he won a hundred thousand dollars, and we're we're staying at a hotel. It costs about twenty bucks a night, right on the Mexican border. What a great story! Yeah, that's amazing. And he almost went out and put, finished third on the Delta, the very next tournament, or finished second, the, damn second or third. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was good, a good. that was that was a whirlwind, dude. We're same thing. We're in a little bitty cheap hotel out there, and <laughs> you know, we're just two guys just trying to get our foot in the door, you know, and pro bass fishing. And here I walk in my door that evening, and I've got. A first place trophy that you know because we just went straight out there we didn't even go home right. there's the first place elite series trophy sitting there and the second place elite series trophy sitting there on the counter so yeah he uh <laughs> he definitely had his his time in the sun there quickly yeah and he said uh, at least they had good tacos at that hotel yeah yeah actually they didn't 
if you're your dad winter down there at that time, you'll remember there there's there wasn't much to eat right around the lake and at a gas station, the Chevron, yeah. whatever it was, you know, they had a little bit and they sold a lot of tackle and, and those 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 cooks down there, they they're straight from Mexico. It was it was beans and potatoes. They didn't spice much up and it wasn't much sausage and not much meat. It was beans and potatoes, flour tortillas, what I remember. Nice. Did you uh did you I don't know if you heard that, but like I guess recently in one of Randy Blockett's videos, he uh he put Grand is one of the most overrated lakes in the country, in his opinion. Did you hear about that or thoughts, sir? That Grand is one of the most overrated? Yeah, he had a list of like, I don't know if it was five or whatever, five most underrated and five most overrated or something like that. I didn't watch the video, but I've heard people talk about it. Um, but Grand, Grand, fortunately for, for us locals, um, it's really stingy come March. I don't know why. They bite pretty good there in February. Well, some years, some years they don't, but some years they'll bite in that January, February, like when the winter tournament's coming on. And then our spring tournaments usually start somewhere around the first of March. And um, it can get really stingy there. It's been that way since I can remember. And but when you figure it out, the deal is if you can get bites, they're generally the right ones. It's right. just hard to get a bite. Um, last time we were there, that time of year, that FLW Tour event was there a couple years ago. And um, it was it was that same way. Jeremy Lawyer won it with a spinnerbait. But, man, it was hard, hard, hard to generate bites. But um, I can see where a lot of guys come there and think this place sucks. But I can tell you this. We had probably one of the best overall sight fishing events there ever. I don't know what year this would have been, 2014, something like that. It was a Costa. And, dude, I'm telling you – you didn't even freaking mark three pounders because three pounders were everywhere. The yep. uh, zebra mussels had come in there and they had filtered that water out. Like it had never been before. You could literally see six foot deep on grand Lake and you know, grand Lake's not usually like that at all. And those stupid fish, <laughs> they would get right back up there and spawn at like a foot of water where they had always spawned. <laughs> they didn't mm -hmm. realize, Oh, well, the water's a lot clearer. And then there they were, you know, in all their glory. And places that we used to just like throw a spinnerbait by hoping there was dead fish back there, you know, and one eats it now. And all of a sudden you can see them. So everybody was able to sight fish. But geez, dude, the amount of three, three and three quarters. Um, I know Castledine was staying with me at that event. And he's, he loves to sight fish. And he came in. He was like, no wonder, you know, they have all these 20 pound bags up here because God, they're just, they're everywhere. And I was like, I know it, they are. But now when I say that, it was very, very uncommon to see a five plus right and you found a five plus dude it was like they were hard to find but, but, but those three and a half three and three quarter they were freaking everywhere um and that's truly what lives in that lake um we have some really good summer tournaments up there dude i've just seen a lot of events that it, it's not overrated um my biggest bag there i had a 27 27 27 27.27 five fish limit and that was flipping um not looking at them this was been some time ago, but like there's been 28s, there's been some big bags. Hell, look what Edwin caught. What do you have? He had 30, didn't he? Now that's the biggest, like that. biggest bag I've ever heard of being caught on that lake, and he did it on the most glorified day of all time. Like you're talking about the stars aligning. Never, I've never seen a bag that big there. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't think Grand's overrated. I think it's moody. <laughs> it can it, be, you know, it, it, gets, of, it gets beat to death, dude. There's, yeah. there's a tournament there every single Saturday and every single Sunday. Yeah, and I think you know, I think there's just been a little bit of a bad, of bad timing, right? The last few opens, the last few tour events, just haven't hit it right. 
So, like I said, March is stingy there. Mm-hmm. March is tough, and then uh, they they either go then or they go in the fall. And when you go in the fall, I mean, it's the it's at the end of all summer long. They've been they've just been beat on, and there's there's it's just a tough tough fishery. They're educated. They know what they're those fish have seen a bait or two in their life. Yeah, for sure. I kind of agree with Ered. Like, <laughs> I always thought it was pretty hypocritical when Blockett was complaining about live scope and this and that. And he's sponsored by Mega Bass and selling $27 jerk bait. So he's, you know, one time he's telling you like he wants to make the sport more accessible and this and this. I don't know. I always thought that was kind of funny that he was preaching that and then he's, he's, he's peddling the most expensive tackle you can buy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, but yeah, whatever it's, uh, um, uh, yeah. I mean, we kind of talked bass fishing fools and we kind of talked about that. I mean, overall, like obviously grand is on the schedule, just like high level next year, like, more positive less positive you don't really care it's just a place or a venue like what are your thoughts on overall of you know fishing all nine um my first thoughts were honestly dude i i didn't want to see a bunch of rivers so if i guess if i'm going to have a tangent so randy has his tangent about the uh graphs um my tangent this year is dude i'm sick of seeing those little bitty boats those little bitty aluminum boats i i I don't I, i it's it's cheating that's what it is. I'm not kidding, dude. Like I can go off on this. This is, this is 2020. I'm tired of hearing, well, you got to keep it so that everybody can afford to get in it. Dude, those guys in that little boat are spending just as much money as everybody in a fiberglass boat. They're just pulling their little P row down there so that they can go get in the back of a little bitty Creek and fish for fish that nobody else can fish for. That's you their know? second boat. That's not there. Not like yeah, or second boat. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'd already told my wife, I'm like, dude, if they come out with another schedule, it's got all these rivers and stuff on it. I'm buying one. I'll buy one. I'll, I'll, I'll drag two boats to the lake. I'll help weld me a hitch on the back of my bass boat and just pull two of them. Um, and I can do that west of the, uh, the Mississippi River. Like, it's legal where I live. You can put two, three uh-huh. of them. It doesn't matter. Um, I know once I go on the other side of the Mississippi River, it changes. But um, they didn't do that. So, you're asking about schedules. Um I like seeing things on an even playing field. That's all I'm asking. I mean, you know, I don't like sure. it when funny guys can show up and they can access water that nobody else can get into. Um, that to me is not trying to figure out who the best fisherman is. That's seeing who can access water that nobody else can access. And believe me, I'm a Creek fisherman, but at least make them do it out of their fiberglass, you know? Um, so the schedule came out, there's no rivers on it. So I don't really have that issue. Um, so that was one yeah. really big positive, you know. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to bring their tin boat up to to uh, Clayton on that river. So no, <laughs> no, you talking about the St. Lawrence? Yeah, yeah, bring bring that Piro up there. <laughs> yeah, bring it, bring it on. But you know, hell, they may catch them. They may go in some creek. But I, I'm like you, it's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, that 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 was a little good good thing about seeing the schedule. Um, they're all on pretty good fisheries. Every one of them. Um, most of them are plenty big enough, you know, they're not places that I can't think of one off the top of my head that just fishes extremely small. Um, Louisville was an issue this year and I knew it was going to be that place is tough anyway, sometimes, and it just doesn't fish very big. Was Louisville on the original schedule or is that a, mm-hmm. but we were originally supposed to be there in the spring, which would have made it a little bit better for sure. sure. For sure. Would have made it better. It made more cool. areas play. Maybe Douglas. Sometimes that river on Douglas, people take their boats up that. So maybe. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's where uh, 
Odd Defoe's been I mean, riding his boat is up in the top of I mean, it. They, they ruled out. I mean, the tunnel. Yeah, I mean, you can't run a tunnel in the opens anymore, but you could run a flat, right? So. Yeah, those guys just do. I mean, I just, I just want to, you know, come on, man. Like, are we gonna fish a bass tournament? Or are we gonna? Well, what are we doing? And, right. and like I say, they always want to use that excuse about the boats. Look, dude, and I want to be perfectly clear here too. I don't have a problem with those express boats that like Dale Hightower and them are running. You know, with two hundred and fifty horsepowers on the back of them. I'm fine with all that. I'm not talking about those boats. I'm talking about those ones that you look at them and you're not even sure they're 16 foot long. You know, and they got, it's just, they're, they're little bitty canoes is what they are. Little bitty canoes. I mean, you know, when you're sitting this close to your partner and you're riding and you both stick, you know, five foot up out of the boat, looks like you're 10 foot tall, you know, and you know, that guy's only barely five foot. And it, I mean, I would look like Andre the giant driving some of those boats, but yeah, that, that, that's the thing that, that I'm against. It's not, it's not the big ones. Maybe maybe just make them to be eighteen or nineteen foot, eighteen foot. Hell, that's fine. Yeah, you know? yeah I guess FLW. I mean, they were the big stir when uh, evidently they have a minimum horsepower now, right? And Keith Poche got caught by that or something. But, yeah, um, his his boat is is one of the ones I'm talking about. I mean, it's it's specifically built to do what he's doing out of it. And dude, he cleaned house with it. I mean, he did. And and I get it. I know how those guys. I mean, he's not the only one. There's lots of guys like that. They're like, you know, if I can find a, a gray area in a rule, and I can find and make an advantage, right? It's like it's like NASCAR. If you're not bumping, you're not racing. But man, I just think for all that. Yeah, I get it. It's. I mean, I, I know that was like that was Kennedy's big deal back in the day too, right? He would absolutely. He'd bring it. He had always ran a 19 foot nitro, and he'd bring his tracker with him just in case. And so. Yeah, you know, and then on the elite series. I it's as passionate as you are against it as it is for it. So, I mean, it's just uh, perspective. So, Well, if everybody ran that boat, then that advantage is gone, you know. Right. Um, I've seen it a lot, you know. I mean, like I say, I'm not mad at anybody doing it. I'm friends with Poche. Uh, mm-hmm. I like Poche. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that I just I, – I, I don't I, – I think it's – I think it's cheating. I mean, to me, it's the same in my mind. That's, that's, that's right. what they're doing. But I guess if you don't like it, join them, right? I don't know. But if they had put five rivers on that schedule, that's what I'd have probably gone and done. I just want to say, hey, thanks for everybody joining. We're already like over 80 live viewers tonight, so that's awesome. Um, Carl's asking, like, what was it? Did you catch that, that eight-pounder on a BFE early in the year, or was that? No. Yeah, I didn't I, think you did. No, I caught it on a uh, speed worm. Typical Florida, you know, the curly tail speed worm. Um, it may have been a big bite. It may have been a zoom. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I'm trying to just tell you the honest answer. That was, 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 was even yeah. before you had a BFD prototype, I think. We might have had – no, we didn't even have the first prototype. I, think so. right. I don't think that was even before you guys even talked about it. Yeah. Uh, no, it came, on a, it, came on a, it came on a speed worm. Um, that was a fish that, uh, that I'd actually shooken off. I think the day before it was an awesome fish because um, I'd, I'd thrown up next to this group of pads, you know, and, and it didn't have a hook on it. And right. that fish, you know, bit, which, you know, I'd shucking fish off, but then she started moving and she didn't let go of it. And she literally like tore two or three of those pads out. Like there was no mistaking that it was a big fish. It wasn't a, yeah, it was over five pounds. I didn't know how right. big it was, but it was definitely over five. And I felt like it was bigger than that. And, the time of year that we were down there, there was a 
chance opportunity that that could be a bedfish. I couldn't see it, right? I mean, I, I couldn't visually see her. She was too deep. But where she was sitting on this little group of isolated pads, I felt like she could be. And so the first morning of the tournament, she was down on Lake Kissimmee. I have to go through the lock, and the whole time I'm thinking in the lock, you know, where am I going to go? Because I've got this one little area grass bed that uh, you can catch five or six pretty quick. And I thought some of them might be good ones too, you know. And uh, I kind of wanted to go to that first, but I was like, dude, you know, even though you're fishing for points is right out of the gate, you've got a big bite like that. Like, you've got to try. I had no other bites around this fish, by the way. Like, she's all by herself. There's nothing else there. So I, I take the gamble and I roll the dice and I go there and I'll be darned if she didn't bite on the exact same, you know, cast. And yeah, I, I got pretty dang excited. That, that, that's probably why I was so emotional on camera when I caught right. that fish. One, because she's a giant, but two, because like I really took a high risk move to go. You were like that. literally holding your breath when you made that first cast. Like, yeah. That <laughs> when you finally come down off pad, you're like, this is stupid, you know, and you see them guys run and run. They're like, they're all running to your other spot. You know, yeah, how like, you're, you're like trying to watch your grass slide off in the distance. Yeah. Like, are they going yeah. that way? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this fish is not going to bite. It's probably a carp, you idiot. You know, probably yeah. something. But no, my instinct was right. It was a, probably a spawning largemouth for her to be sitting there like that. So I got very fortunate. But yeah, it made me super, super pumped. I mean, when she bit, dude, I knew it was her. Like <laughs> there wasn't any. I was like, oh yeah. my god, this is good. That's going to be her and whacking that rod loads. And it was good stuff. Yeah, it's a good thing it wasn't the male because it would have got yanked over the boat. <laughs> it would have. It would have. <laughs> so. Sunline has a ton of different lines, you know, fluoros. Like, what are like, what, I mean, what are the ones you use? Your core, and how do you use them? I would say that I use probably sniper and shooter. Uh -huh. um, and I would say that I'm very much in line a lot with a lot of the guys that that use a lot of Sunline. Um, I use the sniper for anything that I'm winding, like chatterbait, crankbait. Um, I do like that crank that they make, you know, I don't know if it's CD crank or XC crank, but they, they've got that one line. It's called crank and it, it is really good stuff for crank baiting. I do like, it. it's got a little bit more stretch to it. Um, anything that I am pitching, flipping, you know, short hook sets or even a worm casting a long worm. Um, that's when I tend to like the shooter better, um, over the sniper. Um, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't have much stretch at all. It's, mm -hmm. It's abrasive, resistant. Um, it's it's probably my favorite line. They came out with a new fluorocarbon, maybe 2018, and I think Jason Christie helped them design it. But I like it a lot. When I first saw it, I was like, eh, man, that's goofy as hell. But it's clear for like three feet, you know? And then mm -hmm. it's got like one foot of high-vis orange or high-vis yellow. Um, I like it because I'm a line watcher, and – um, you can you can cut your bait so that it's about three foot and like you see that high vis every time and it's not anywhere around that fish and um, I like it. It's good stuff. Well, how, how would you say that? What what is the? I mean, outside of the coloring, is it more like sniper? Is it more like shooter? Is it? I would say it's definitely more like shooter. Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, nice. yeah. Uh, so I know Don has asked this a few times. Uh, you talk about that little crankbait you talked on one of Scott's videos that, that yeah. like it's a 1.0. Yeah. Um, I actually brought some baits in here we could talk about. I figured that was going to come up. I got some hey, LBJ, LBJs here. I got your back, Don. I told him we were gonna, this was going to come up, so I made him prep. 
So this is my little crankbait box. All right, no, just a second. Just a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make it bigger. There you go. There we go. So you can kind of see it's pretty well stocked with with little cranks. Um, some, some are shallow, some are shallow runners. Some are a little deeper runners. Um, I've, I, dude, I feel terrible. I don't know the actual size if it's a one or a two, but they do make one smaller than this. There we go. They make one smaller, but um, this is the one I probably throw the most. This is uh, this is the RC made by Lucky Strike. It it really all started with. Uh, let me find some in here. Panger was catching them on this thing uh, when we were at uh, Neely Henry. And I didn't realize that he was catching them all, but he was catching them all on the original 0.5, which was a lucky craft. You know, the only ones you could buy at Bass Pro. Uh -huh. And um, I had three or four of them. And uh, some of the originals, I'm trying to get it out here. You know, the hook issue where there's all tangled up in hooks. Yeah, if but, you don't have, you're no, not I trying. Got, if your baits don't tangle up, you ain't got enough baits. Ouch. <laughs> I got a hook in my finger. So you can kind of see the size difference if I hold up the camera here, maybe. Just from the backs. Well, sure. you can't really see, but this is the original 0 0.5 right here. And it's not, see how much wider the, the, the Lucky One. Strike is? Yeah. This one in my this hand, uh -huh. and it just gives me a little bit more weight castability, and it's still that really small profile. Because I mean, size wise, I'm having a hard time with the camera. Size wise, they're not that much different, but uh -huh. uh, it is smaller, and it's it's quite a bit thinner. That's really where you notice it is in the width. But um, anyway, he was catching them on that that original zero point five and. I told him I'd give him some, and I didn't realize how much he wanted them. He said the next day he really wished he had taken them from me. But, um, yeah, I throw that little crankbait a lot. Like I say, I throw some deeper diver ones too. Is that mostly uh, a fall thing for you when the bait's small, or when, does he, when do you like to throw those small? I would say primarily fall for me. Um, this is a deeper diver one. This is a Academy brand. And, uh, yeah. And uh, – I actually caught him on this thing really good at Lake Fork one year in the uh, post-spawn. So May, mm -hmm. uh, fishing was odd. It was like tough. You could hardly get a bite. I pulled that thing out, and they ate it really, really good. Um, some of the mouths of some of the spawning creeks coming out, they were, mm -hmm. were post-spawn bass. But, yeah. Um, I love that little crankbait, man. It, it produces in the fall sometimes for me. Sometimes it doesn't, but. It's been a it's been a good little bait for for a long time. Another question: Do you have a favorite lipless? Man, I don't have. That. I'm not you a. Don't really throw lipless? I'm not a big. I'm not a. I throw it. You know, when we go to Florida, and different things. But if I can throw a different bait than that lipless, I'm going to throw it. Um, so the answer you know, is his favorite lipless is a spinner bait. <laughs> yeah, spinner bait or chatter bait. Um, yeah. I ran with Brian uh, Schmidt for two or three years on mm -hmm. tour roommates and he's probably the best chatterbait fisherman I've ever been around. And, uh, I, I, I learned a lot from him between his swim jig and his chatterbait. Um, I like that. I like that option usually better than the, than the rattle trap. For sure. I can see that. 
Um, so Austin says, after we're, we're, we're almost, <clears throat> we're not quite there, but we're creeping on the one-year anniversary of the BFD. Yeah. He wants to know, did it live up to the name, and is there anything you would change after fishing it a whole lot? I mean, obviously you fished the prototypes, but now that you've got, you know, you probably went through a few hundred counts now. Like, what are your thoughts? Is, is it is it the perfect flipping bait? Is it close? What do you think? Yeah, it's close. Yeah. No. <laughs> the, the, the only thing that's happened to it that wasn't good was that it came out after flipping season was over and we didn't really have the high water, but, um, right. There's going to be, there's going to be derbies one on that sucker come next spring guaranteed because we sold a bunch and, um, a lot of guys have them in their hands now at this point and, um, hell yeah, it's going to play. I, I didn't make that bait. I do. I seriously, that wasn't a sales pitch. I made that bait to catch fish. Um, it'll catch them. There's no doubt about it. It'll catch them. Some of the guys that don't like it, I know the feedback that I get of the, the guys that don't like it, they're generally guys that they want some kind of action to their bait. And I get that. Like, I understand that. And I definitely built that bait to do just the opposite. Um, I didn't want a lot of action. And uh, catches them. I mean, it, it's in the same line as a beaver or a Cinco or, you know, some of the best plastics that ever been built to catch more fish than any of them, a tube. They have very, very, very little action. Um, what action they do has very subtle and that bait has the same thing. So, um, it holds the hook real well. It's durable. That was a big thing for me. I got tired of ripping baits. You know, when I'm flipping all the time, I want something that stays on the hook better. So it's, it's, it's beefier and meatier in the middle to try to help you keep that thing hooked up on a hook to where you're just more efficient throughout the day. So you're not having to always fix your plastic, you know, for the next flip. Yeah. Yeah. I think, when I had Panger on the stream a couple weeks ago, and I think he did a really good job. If you guys haven't seen that, go back and watch that one. But he does a really good job explaining his theory on, you know, crayfish with no pinchers or one pinchers, and they think like beavers and the BFE are just not threatening. So it, it looks like a really easy meal, and mm -hmm. there's a really low risk that the fish is going to get clipped in mm -hmm. the heels or injured. So um, that's just – I think it's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Um, um, I guess favorite BFE color. My favorite color is BTL, without a question. BTL or Bedlam, and it's not just because we had a color contest. We had a color contest for guys that don't know, and um, uh, we ended up with like two thousand or eighteen hundred, something like that mm -hmm. entries, and we had to pick one. But uh, Bedlam ended up winning. It, it, it's basically what would be the old school black neon in a tube, which was always one of my favorite. Little different orange crimson. Right. Slightly different flakes, but really close. Yep. Right. So one side basically is black neon. It's black and red, which matches the Bedlam is the football game in Oklahoma every year between the in rival states of Oklahoma State and University of Oklahoma. So it's basically their color. So one's orange and flake, and one side's red flake. But I like it a lot, a whole lot. And uh, like I said, black neon was always one of my standbys anyway. But that BTL color is sharp, dude. They eat that sucker. I, and it's really unique. You know, I think it's, I mean, if you're looking for a color, Mm -hmm. Especially as something that's got you know a little bit of color to it or stain to it, that's going to show them something that's going to probably be different than most people are going to be flipping. It's a really unique color, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it almost like that old sour grape lake fork tube crowd a little bit, but a little different too. At the same time. We're sitting here talking about it. Let me see if I've got one. I probably don't. I've I have some, but they're not anywhere near me. Well, my B my BFE box is like. I've got two of them left, so like my box is just crammed full of BFEs. That's how much I'm using it. So if you guys can see that, it's got a sartreuse, so it's black, sartreuse, and then June bug. It's a laminate. It's a three-color laminate. It's a it's a sharp bait. Um, it's it's probably my favorite color. 
without a doubt. Some of them come out a little bit more chartreuse, look more like that mm-hmm. down the side. And then uh, I think that's the bedlam we were talking about. That's obviously the, the red side and that's the orange side. But it's, it's very close to a black neon. And anytime I'm flipping, you know, black and blues, hematoma, both those are standbys as well. I think you guys up north probably fish a little bit more green pumpkin and and uh, and the other colors that like the uh, like tilapia or tilapia magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. tilapia or tilapia magic. No, I definitely bought some of those uh, for leech like this fall, and and I had decent success on them. But the flipping bite was really weird. It got cold, and I don't know. And I, it wasn't the BFE's fault, but I was having trouble keeping them pegged in the wild rice. <laughs> yeah, but I was having trouble with all baits. It wasn't. Uh, uh, Ken says, I've already burned through 25 plus packs of the BFE. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like we need bulk packs is what we're saying. Yeah, there's, uh, been, a, there's been a lot of people wanting that mega pack. I'm all for it too, man. Get, nice. you know, 25 or 50 in a bag. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, speaking of chatterbait, uh, Carl wants to know what, what Falcon rod and series do you use for your chatterbait? This is going to sound crazy, but we went through a couple-year period there where some of the names, they would name a rod, and the action didn't really match up real well um, with the uh, the name of the rod. I used to teach Jason about it a little bit. I was like, dude, I heard you were the one that did all the naming on that. He's like, man, I didn't have nothing to do with that. But um, they've got one that's called a deep jig, stroking jig, something like that. <coughs> it's the one that I use. It's like seven foot three. It's got a real light tip on it. Like you would never get a fish, a hook and a fish with this jig, with this rod ever, ever. And um, it is a wonderful, wonderful chatterbait rod. Absolutely sure. special. Um, I wish I could think of the name of it. If I saw it in my hand, I'd be like, yeah, that's it. But um, they, they made it in a low rider and they also made it in the, uh, oh, the expert series. They made it in both series and I, I throw it on both rods. They're both, they're, they're perfectly the same. It's just a little bit different graphite that they're made from. One's a little bit more expensive, but um, man, it is. It's an awesome chatterbait rod. Nice. <laughs> There's a lot of people in here that are have agreed that BFE has, uh, has, has been working for them. And the uh, uh, Logan asks, it's a hol- it's a solid body. So it looks like a ring, like a tube craw body, but a little thinner, but it's solid. It's not hollow like a tube craw. All right. And that, that's what I really tried to combine. I wanted something that was somewhat like a beaver, but then I wanted that tube uh, bodied, you know, just the fall and all that. And that's kind of what we were after. So I think we're getting a few other questions about the, the, the little brown jig. So we might as well deep dive on that. Okay. He says, what, what's, I mean, do you make yours? Do you buy them? Are they, what, what's, um, I don't buy them. Um, this started a long time ago, dude. This started with like, hell, I'll show you. This is cool since we're doing this. I'll, I'll, hang on a second. Yeah, for sure. We're not afraid to get into the weeds and uh, deep dive on the baits here. So, hey, while we're waiting for Brad to grab those LBJs, uh, we're, we're creeping up. We're uh, we're above 80 viewers. So if you guys can hit that thumbs up and maybe like try to get close to 100 here while we got Brad on, that'd be awesome. Let's show him some love for taking the time to be with us tonight. So. See if I can get this positioned right on this camera. Can you see that? Yep. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Like, uh, 
slightly younger Bradley Hallman uh, yeah. and the other guy. <laughs> yeah, that was my team partner for for many years. He uh, we lost him this year. He passed away and uh, he died of cancer. Came quick and didn't last long. And um, he's my best friend for many years. But look, I was still even wearing Falcon shirts back then. Um, champion boats. They were they're long yeah. gone now, but. We won that event. That was up there on Ten Killer, uh, where where Jason lives, mm-hmm. and uh, we had twenty three or four pounds that day. We had some big ones, but that was that was like once we had the LBJ figured out, and that's when it got its name. Quite honestly, um, we 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 named it the LBJ, and we just named it that for the little brown jig. But uh, back then, it was uh, it was actually the Aikens jig, and they made they came in three in a pack back then from Jewel. And they made one called a rubber hand tie. And the rubber that came on it was special. And we, we didn't realize it at the time. Well, we realized it by like when we won that tournament, we realized it. I mean, we were already catching them before that tournament, but that's that's right around that time frame when we really figured it out. But um, the rubber was really the big deal. And they quit making that bait. But the, the cool things, one is it it this one right here. One is, is it had a copper hand tie. So this is instead of having a rubber collar on it, it's got copper or a brass tie that you twist on there so that it can't come off. That skirt's not coming off there at all. Um, that was a big part of it. And then the skirt material was a big part of it. This is flat rubber. And I promise you, if you don't know what this is. If you think you're going to go find it, you're going to get on the internet tonight and you're going to find it in 10 minutes and be like, I've got it. But I promise you, you don't have it. <laughs> this is flat. There's nothing round about it. It's not square. It's uh, it's 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 specially shaped. I've heard different rumors about this rubber, about the mold that made it and that it went to China and it didn't come back and it wasn't popular. Lots of things. But this rubber breathes really, really well in the water. That's what it's about. So if you drop it in like a glass of water, it just it just continues to pulse. Just sitting there on bottom, but the rubber just continues to pulse. It's subtle, you know. We were talking about subtle baits a minute ago, catching fish. But uh, originally we were only throwing the five sixteenths, but the hook in the original wasn't any good. You'll have to forgive my weed guard. I know it's long. These are just ones that have been tied up, and usually I just trim them right before I cast it out there if I tie a new one on. But had to get a bigger hook. I ran into a situation in Texas early in my career with some seven and eight pounders and uh, they're a little bit bigger and meaner than our fours and five pounders when we get a hold of the big one here in Oklahoma and uh, they straighten the hook out so I did some different compromise and changed some stuff um, but it's still you know about the same thing that's a mustad hook I put in mine now and uh, fiber weed guard is a little bit lighter than um, most jigs that you see um and it's built for skipping. That's why the the, the the tide on the skirt is such a big deal. Um, it's built to skip. And so you get a good cast and you skip it back there in the middle of the dock. And then, um, you know, gets down there and you get your bait back after you work it back. You don't get a bite in your skirts down there at the bottom of your hook. You know, it's kind of aggravating. But mm-hmm. so, that, so that prevents that. And, um, man, it's just a... It's just a bait that I made a lot of money on through the years. And then I started, you know, talking about it publicly four or five years ago, quite a bit. And the name LBJ kind of stuck. Um, so that's probably how I 
ended up kind of with the BFE because I knew that the, the LBJ was a was a well known name just for me talking about a little brown chig. So um, it kind of helped me come up with the name the BFE as well. Sure. And so you're always throwing like a ball head, right? I mean that's yeah, it's a ball head yeah. jig. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you do you make those or do you have somebody make them for you or? So um, we started running out of them. So Larry and I bought everything we could find in the country. I mean, literally, we had I, – I didn't ask after he passed away, but his son, who just graduated high school, was telling me, he said, hey, I still got a bunch of those under the bed, under dad's bedroom, under his bed, his bedroom. And I was like, well, just keep those, but don't ever give them to anybody, dude, because – they're special and you know they won't ever be made again but i knew when those started running low i had to come up with something else larry and i had searched and searched the rubber the rubber is the big deal like you could anybody can make the jig but the rubber is the thing and um different people would come up with it tell us they had it and larry had a, larry had a store two stores there in ufala he lived on lake ufala in oklahoma and he called me one day and he said hallman he said i got a roll of that rubber and i was like really and he's like dude i've got it a roll of rubber and he paid like a hundred dollars for this i mean it's just a roll like right not very big like that big around and uh but it was enough to make 100 150 jigs out of you know just something like that maybe maybe more but um so he bought it and i said how much more where did you get it? he told me about this guy that knew a guy that had it and i was like well how much does he have and he said oh he's got quite a bit and i said well how much does he want for it and he said, oh, well, it's too expensive. Larry wasn't telling me this. The other guy was telling Larry this. It is too expensive. And I said, tell him, call me. You know, <laughs> so the guy calls me and he's like, well, I can sell it on eBay and I can sell it all for $100, $150 for those little bit rolls. I said, how much do you have? And he said, dude, I've got like a, a big giant brown paper sack like you get from Walmart of it, full of it. I was like, how much? And he's like, too much. And so then he finally came up with the price. I don't remember what it was, $3,000, $4,000, something like that. And I was like, done. Send you a check tomorrow. Give me that rubber. And he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, nope, I'll take it all. So I bought every bit of it, and um, and I still have it. So it was enough rubber that I knew that it was going to last Larry and I the rest of our lives, dude. And I give it to no one. I mean, no one gets my jigs. Um, Upshaw was actually giving me a hard time at the last event about the fact that I hadn't given him a brown rubber jig yet. Dude, I don't give them to anybody. Um it's it's kind of my little bait and you know i catch a lot of fish on it and um i'm not those other jigs will catch them too like the silicone yeah. skirts and all that it's just a confidence deal with me but there there are times that, that that skirt makes a difference there's no doubt about that yeah so yeah hey red lbj just a little brown jig so it's not a company it's just it's mm -hmm. It's, little a, it's a thing. It's not really a. <laughs> yeah, and, and I've heard some other guys talking about it. What they're going to do? Is, I've talked about it enough. Now there's going to be a company come out with one. They're going to knock the name off, which is fine. But I mean, even Swindle. I mean, there's other people that use the term "little brown jig." Swindle says it. Um, you know, but I think yeah, he throws them up in archie style. I mean, it's. I mean, other people have their own little brown jigs, right? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. They just don't call them LBJ. That, that'll be the difference. That'll be what they'll take from me. If they take the, the, the coin LBJ. But, yeah, that's what it is. It's just a little brown jig. And, hell, yeah, everybody throws that thing. Dude, that's the same thing that Swindle won. The, he talked about it the year he won the uh, AOI. Last one he won at Bassmaster that he threw that jig all year long. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, what uh, I mean, what the, what do you use for trailers, fluorocarbon setup? Like, what do you like for – I mean, we're talking about a finesse flipping – jig right little ball head jig brown so i mean you can make your own you, you won't have the exact rubber but you can you can 
you can make your own LBJ and you're going to catch fish on it. What's your setup for fishing it? Um, the trailer doesn't really matter a lot, just tremendously. I use a green pumpkin all the time. I've changed from, I've used zoom speed crawls in the beginning to now I'm using some crawls from big bite to like, it doesn't really matter that much on bikes. What matters to me is the color. Um, I generally use green pumpkin or, um, the tilapia magic, um, depending on watercolor where I'm fishing. I don't ever dye the tail or anything. Um, I, I use the trailer to affect the fall rate. So uh -huh. if it's, if I want it to fall slower, I use a trailer that's got more flaps to it. If I want it to fall faster, then I use a trailer that doesn't have all that drag to it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so that's really kind of my trailer system because all my jigs are, they're, they're probably a 7 16 is about what they are. They're right underneath a half ounce. Or if you just want to call them a half ounce, that's probably what they are too. But um, the line size and stuff that I use, the rod that I've used forever Falcon used to make the rod. It was, they still make the same rod. It's just got a different name back to the naming of rods. But um, it used to be called the Aikens Jig Special because this was originally the Aikens Jig. That's, that's what this was all copied off of. Um, that rod has now changed. It's called a Finesse Jig Special. I also use a head turner. So we got the Finesse Jig Special, which is like a five power, I believe, and the head turner is a six power. I think I've got that right. Six power being a little bit stronger. It's a little bit stiffer rod. Um, I use both those rods with this jig, but but I probably use the finesse jig special the most. It's the one that was more like the Aikens. Um, I can throw this jig. Now I've got some other ones. I've got some other ones in here. I've got some that have got a uh, smaller wire diameter on the hook. The one that I showed you is the bigger one. It's the one I use the most. Uh, but if I go to that, if I'm fishing deep, like if I go to Table Rock or somewhere like that and I'm fishing with it, a lot of times we fish with it on 10-pound test line. I know that sounds crazy, but, dude, it's a pretty good setup. And it used to – it was like the damn A-Rig when it, when it first came out up there, I think. But 10-pound um, test line and that, that finesse jig special from Falcon, um, when I use it on 15, I probably use that head turner a little bit more, but I still use the finesse jig some depending on where I am. I like – using that finesse jig rod for skipping docks it's a big deal to me to be able to skip docks with it but the rod just got a real good load to it and so whenever it comes back forward the way that that rod unwinds it, it really just helps skip that bait and give it a lot of action so um casting and accuracy i like that finesse jig rod yeah and they're all horizontal line ties are they? Uh, yes they're horizontal mm -hmm. you think that's important yes there's no doubt that that ball head was was spot on yeah yeah. Yeah. And we've all got that Elvis collar, you know, and I don't, I don't know that that's such a big deal either, especially around the country. Um, quite frankly, I probably ought to make some right now that aren't that, but I haven't. Um, I'm just throwing the same one, but it's, it's kind of gotten to a point where it's not, not what it once was. Um, it used to be, dude, it caught the biggest damn fish in the lake, but it, it doesn't seem to be as strong as it once was. You know, back then, everybody and their dog didn't have one tied on. Then it got to a point where, like, a Grand Lake and a Nichols team tournament, and there's 500 boats in the tournament, and you walk down the dock at way in, and you could just count LBJs all the way down the dock off every deck of every boat. You know? And that's probably what killed it. But um, I've talked to the guys at Table Rock. There's a lot of guys that fish in Missouri that were – famously known for it. the davis brothers jim akins himself troy akins his son i mean those boys made a lot of money with that bait and um 
it's not as a dominant bait as it once was, but it still catches a lot of fish and then putting in the right situation, it can still win tournaments. Um, I took that thing to TVA on Lake Wheeler. Um, well, I'd have, box, right? Yeah, I'd have another I one. Remember, of those I'd have another one of those trophies behind me. I was one ounce after four days. I remember um, watching that tournament. That was LBJ. awesome. Yep, yep. And uh, that was pretty cool to do that with that bait and take it out there and catch them. So there's still some places in the country it'll play. I always notice that, like, if it's a place that they hadn't seen it, they eat it a lot better, you know, than mm-hmm. the place in these in the Ozarks and Oklahoma area. They just they just beat them to death with it. Nice. And you straight floral, right? You don't braid. You're not a braid and floral guy, right? <clears throat> not at all. It's straight floral, dude. And so, like I say, it changes depending on the depth that I'm fishing and the fall rate. I throw that thing anything from 10 pound test all the way up to 20. So it just depends on where I am in the country, the size of fish, the depth I'm fishing, things like that. So um, like when I'm down in Texas fishing at around docks and stuff, uh, it's going to be 20 pound test. Um, but if I'm in Oklahoma and other parts of the country, I can get by with 15 because, you know, I don't, I mean, you can get broke off, but you can get broke off with 22 depending on what's on a dock. But um, I, I get by, I feel like you get more bites with it with lighter line. For sure. Especially, I mean, pressured, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're up here in Minnesota where the fish are done, you can just throw 20 all the time. Well, I'll tell you where I haven't, I'll tell you, you know, where I haven't had a lot of success with that bait. I thought originally, like when I was a rookie, my first few years on the Elite Series, I thought I was going to be able to take that bait. I thought that up north where those smallmouth were, I thought they were just going to eat paint off of it. Like, dude, they're going to, they're going to, yeah, not so much. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a football jig plays a little bit, but. Yeah, because you use it the jig mostly in grant. I think you're more more hardcover structure bank laydowns, right? Like it's what's that now? So what? Uh, somebody asked to use it more in grass, or is it more hardcover structure? And I think it's the latter, right? Yeah, the jig. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's where I haven't had success with it. Is grass? I, I, I'm not saying I hadn't caught fish on it, but I think there's other baits that produce better than it in those same places. It doesn't shine in grass. It shines on rock. So rock holes, rock, rock is where it shines. Yeah. Um, there's definitely jigs that shine in the grass. The LBJ is not the jig that shines in the grass. Right. Well, the horizontal line tie right from the jump is not a good right. deal in the grass. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's at a downfall right, right off the jump. Nick asked an interesting question. Do you ever switch up color? Is it always just a straight brown? Is there ever a time you go black and blue or play with colors? Or I do throw black and blue. That's about the only color I throw. A lot of times I'll still throw the brown and I put a black and blue trailer on it. You know, I do a lot with that trailer. I told you, I, I change trailers a lot. Change colors. I change fall rates. I change actions. I change a lot with just by changing the color and I keep the same jig. I do a lot of the same. I fish a lot of jigs and I only keep two or three jig colors and then I just play with trailers for the most part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Wyatt says, what's up with your old Jersey with the red and yellow stripes? It reminds me of a German soccer team. <laughs> yeah. I get a, I get a hard time over that. Um, <laughs> James Watson told me one time, he's like, that's the ugliest damn Jersey on tour, dude. Um, it probably is. It, it, it's left over from, um, Dan O'Sullivan may have designed that originally. That'd be a good question for Dan O. Um, Dan O now lives in Alabama, but he he's originally he was he was out on the West Coast and he was doing some stuff for Mark Jeffries with the Bass on Bass Talk Live, right? And um, my rookie year, I traveled with Mark, and Mark was like, you know, I was with 
Skeeter at the time, and, and Marcus was Skeeter. So they worked out a deal. I ran a I ran a Bass Zone wrap, and I had a Bass Zone custom made jersey, and um, I worked with with Mark and, and and Skeeter with this. And I think Dan O'Sullivan designed that jersey originally. Dano's about my age, and uh, I don't know, man. That one was a little more yellow, for sure. I mean, Mark still got one. If you look in the BTL deal, uh, he still got one of the jerseys back there um, that was from that. But it that color scheme just kind of morphed into what I wear today. Um, I do take a little more yellow, a little more red out of time to time. But dude, I've got friends of mine, the younger guys. They're like, you look like damn Ronald McDonald. You know, you love those Ronald McDonald colors, and I really don't, but. Um, I do kind of like the way the jersey looks from time to time, so I guess if it works for me, it works. But, dude, I really realize there's a lot of people out there like that thing is freaking horrible. Yeah, at least they know who you are, though. Taking notice. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was going to show, like, so I, I kind of have, like, uh, this is a jig that I made up. Yeah. That I kind of hand tied with a, I use a kind of little purple wire in there. Uh-huh. But this, this is, this skirt material is hydro silk, which is another skirt material they don't really make anymore. It used to come, on the original series of true tungsten jigs. Yeah. Uh, and they came out with this hydro silk and it's kind of a round silicone rubber. It's kind of unique. It really has a lot of action to it. I mean, it, you just see like, you know, the movement, it's just like, um, and I just, one of the, it's kind of like my version of the LEDG. I, I kind of tied up a, a green pumpkin, brown, black mix. And that's just something that I throw more of the Archie style. Cause that works better on the grass. And it, it's still good around wood and docks and that kind of stuff up here. And you, you've got it hand tied as well, right? Got a, yeah, it's got a purple wire tied. Yep. And uh, what what what's the eye on it? Is it? Yeah. So this is a, a vertical. Yep. Arcade. Yep. So yep. for our yep. docks, where I fish, grass. This is a more, you know, versatile jig up in Minnesota. So the Arky jig, I'm like you. The Arky jig's head style is one of my favorites. But uh, mm-hmm. that vertical Arky would be bad to the bone, I'm sure, up there. Yeah. So that's just one that I had tied up, hoping I was going to get on that bite on Pickwick and didn't really happen <laughs> in the fall. I'm sure other times it would be good. Uh, yeah, I thought he's like, why? Just is like, you, you need some green pumpkin brown bass tech jigs. Yeah, that's my hand tie and my own bass tech tungsten jigs. So that's a tungsten head, too. Um, uh, let's see what else is going on here. Do, 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 do you throw jerk baits much? And do you yeah. like a rogue? Or what I is do. your jerk bait? So I throw them all. I do. I change them up. I throw. Uh, four or five different ones um if i'm really just jerkbait fishing grand lake's a big jerkbait lake it has been mm-hmm. forever um the rogue is where it all started there for us of course it's got a little more watercolor but, um i feel like the rogue's got a little more dead action to it it's, you know i hate casting it just like everybody else but sometimes when the water's cold or the fish are sluggish that mega bass and some of the newer modern jerkbaits you know even if you just barely hit them they got a real live hard twitch and mm-hmm. That, that other one's just real kind of soft turn with the Rogue. And, and I like that at times. Um, I like that big stick a lot um, that McClellan built. It's it's a good jerkbait. I like uh, I like the Mega Bash just like everybody else does. Um, but if we're all jerking, man, like 19 out of 20 guys are all throwing the same jerkbait. So I like to throw something a little different. But that, that stupid thing catches a lot of fish, you know. And um, – there's some lucky crafts that I like. I've got some old school lucky crafts that I still throw that I caught fish on. I used to make a color called crack and uh, I got my head kicked in one time by that color sitting right next to a buddy of mine. 
in a tournament. We both ran to the same group of fish, and Larry and I did it was a team tournament. And they uh, they showed us what was there. Kippy Morrow, I'll never forget that. Man, they freaking unloaded on him. And at the end of the day, I had to ask him, I was like, dude, what is that jerkbait? He said, it's crack. And I was like, no joke, it's crack. What is it? He goes, no, seriously, it's called crack. Isn't that the one that kind of had some, like, scales on the back that were like mm-hmm. – I mean, it, this is not it, but it had a pattern like that where it had like those hand flasks. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <clears> percent. <throat> yeah. It was kind of gray and had a little pattern to it. And it had almost a sartreuse yeah. kind of glimmer to yeah. the side. But the, the, the details, they had like hand placed like scales in the back like that. Yeah. I yep. remember that. And then, and then I think they came out with a chartreuse crack later. It was like a skeet color or something. like it that. It was. Yes, that's correct. Yep. I'm a bit of a bait junkie. Are you? Uh, <laughs> uh CG says he'll give you four hundred dollars for a really small roll of that material. <laughs> uh, when I quit fishing in ten years, I'm going to put it all on eBay and I'm going to sell that. That's that your retirement will, plan. It'll sell for more than any other baits I got. I just to be selling the rubber. Uh, one question I got on Instagram: Is there anything else in the? Are you working on any other baits, any other projects, something with big bites, other companies? What? Anything you can talk about? Yeah, I've, I've got some ideas, and I am working on some stuff. I actually talked to a guy. Um, yesterday i believe about um design another bait with big bite so um i do see that another one of those is coming down the pike hopefully um i enjoy um doing that process because it's kind of how my brain works anyway I, I i try to find something that works better than what we're already using it's kind of the mechanical part of my brain um and i enjoy that process big bite was great to work with Scott and everybody involved was was super helpful. Those guys have just been doing it for so long and know so much that it's it's pretty easy for me to plug and play with them. Um, so yeah, I've I've got some stuff coming down the pike. Um, definitely, I've got a hard bait company that I've been talking with, and I've got some stuff here on my desk right now for them. So um, cool. we've been talking about it a little bit as well. So it helps when the BFE apparently is. Pretty good. I mean, I, I mean, I obviously don't know the numbers, but from what I can gather, it's been a pretty good success coming out of the gate. I got to think they're pretty happy with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're absolutely happy with it. It was, it's, it's been a success so far. Like I say, the only thing that's really held it back, in my opinion, is just that it was, you know, the wrong time of year. But it's coming. It's definitely coming. I, I just have a tremendous amount of confidence in that bait. I mean, I, I know what it's going to do. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I flipped it enough that I know it catches them. Dude, I mean that thing freaking catches. <laughs> I'm kidding. I ain't just selling a bait like that. That sucker will catch yeah. a fish. So I'm excited about that. You know, um, I'm, I'm excited to see some guys win some tournaments and text me. And I'm sure a lot of it'll be private because uh, it'll be one of those deals a lot of guys won't want to talk about right off the bat. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like you're the kind of guy that throws a lot of baits. <laughs> like, I mean, you have your sponsor baits, and you obviously, but like, but what what are one of your favorite baits? from a company you don't work with that you, that, uh, I don't know. Well, I have nothing to do with chatterbait. I throw in a lot. Yeah. Um, and I like What's the jack, your- I like the jackhammer just like everybody else. Are you a uh, swimmon guy or do you like a different trailer for your chatterbait? So same thing was with my jig. It depends on action and stuff, but yeah, there's, there's some different trailers that I like. I like, sometimes I like the vertical, you know, the swim on is a, is a wonderful chatterbait trailer. Um, and there's also trailers that I like whenever I lay them horizontal to kind of keep the bait a little bit more weedless mm-hmm. um, around wood in different situations. So um, I changed that too, and it, it affects how that bait kind of planes out and makes it a little bit more weedless or, you know, different things. So um, 
sometimes the action. But that swim on, man, it came on this spring and like everybody wanted them, and it, for good reason. It was it was a really 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 good trailer. Yeah, I remember you guys talking about that at was it maybe Neely Henry? We were talking about going around that thick grass that like you yeah. needed a a cross yeah. out there or something that would protect the hook so it wouldn't roll and catch on. Yeah, the- I was throwing it the first day of the tournament and um, I caught pretty good spot like a three pounder on it and um man i had it on fluorocarbon because the water really wasn't stained stained enough to throw braid and like i said with the pressure of that lake and then what we do to them so i really wanted to be throwing fluorocarbon but i just it would get hung up and i got aggravated at the end of the day i was talking to scott and it was actually scott it's like dude what are you using for a trailer and he was the one of course you know he's from florida and he's He's Scott Martin, but he was like, you need to try this trailer. You know, he's like, it'll make all the difference in the world. It has nothing to do with getting a bite. It's just a matter right. of, of the fact that it lays horizontal and keeps that hook standing up. So when you come over a limb, it doesn't, you know, hold like, you know, something like a speed crow or something. Like, Absolutely. It will give you, it will keep the bait horizontal and it's going to, mm-hmm. you know, the grass is going to ride off the side of that. Whereas a swim on or a fluke or a, you know, or the original trailer bait trailer, right. It's, it's not going to protect your hook. Right. Correct. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, I definitely I use a lot of baits. I I use a lot of different stuff. You're, you're more so you're you're, you're going to worry about what's going to catch the fish more so than whether mm-hmm. it's your. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So, is there another bait you like from Big Bite for flipping other than the BFE? And like, what situation? Like, is there uh, something you like with more action in certain situations? Or uh, yeah, um, I like the the new Kamikaze Curl. Is, is somewhat like BFE. It's a ringed bait, but yet it's got a lot of flapping action. Um, it's one that I use a lot for a jig trailer as well. Um, I like flipping it. It's, it's got a really, really good action to it. Um, Rojas is fighting frog. Um, I'll be real honest with you. Before I was with Big Bite, it wasn't a bait that I ever really thought much about or paid much attention to. And then once I was with Big Bite, a couple of shows that I'd worked and some stuff, just guys coming around and buying baits and talking to them, fishermen. Dude, that that thing's like <laughs> them guys catch them on that thing, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "Well, I better pay a little closer attention to this." So then I started fishing with it, and I see why. Um, it's got a lot of really cool characteristics to it too, and it is a great bait. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a good one. Nice. You mess with glide baits at all? Say it again. Do you mess around with glide baits or swim baits at all? Yeah, I play with a lot of swim baits, but the glide bait deal, man, I just can't. I've tried. Um, I've got a friend here in Oklahoma that's that's really really good with it. Um, I specifically make sure that I fish with him once or twice a year to where we go do it. And um, I think that you know it's 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 good for a lot of things, but tournament fishing, I don't know, man. And I'm a risk taker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that thing's that thing's a huge risk. <laughs> um, and and the, probably the worst part is is that you get to watch a bunch of them and they don't eat it. So um, when they do. It's great on days that they commit. Like it seems like every bass in the lake commits, but then you have a lot of other days where they don't. So, in the in the position that I'm in, in the field that I'm in, it's just it's just not a it's not a everyday tool for me. I know there's some guys on tour that do it, but I'm just not one of those guys. I just I have to. It's too hard for me to catch what I can catch anyway. I don't need to be wasting <laughs> wires trying to catch a you know something on a glide bait, swim bait. Yeah. Absolutely, dude. I'm all about them. I love them. So what, what what do you like? For, I mean, for a tournament situation, what kind of swim baits? Any of the hollow bellies I like a lot. Um, I like them rigged a lot of different ways: open hook, 
uh, belly hook, belly weighted. Um, you know, I was one of the first ones. I was 2007. I say I was one of the first ones. I was one of the first ones to, that when the Elite Series went out to California, um, we went to Clear Lake, and uh, Steve Kennedy won that event on that Huddleston. But Chris Lane and I were having breakfast the day before the first day of practice. So it would have been the day before we started practice. And it was in that little town there that Clear Lake's in, and there's this really awesome tackle store right next door. So we got done eating breakfast, and we walk into this tackle store. Dude, and this whole wall is nothing but bash tricks, a whole damn wall. And uh, Chris Lane was like, what are those? <laughs> We've never seen one, you know? And the guy just was like, y'all don't know what those are? And we're like, no, nah, I've never seen that. He's like, those are bash tricks. Well, that's where it all started. And as far as the whole country knowing about them, right. that event, and then we all, like, all the guys are on the Elite Series then, dude. We all loaded up with hundreds of thousands of dollars of base before we left California and brought them back to the East. And we knew that that Bass Tricks would play. Like, it wasn't too big. Even back then, it didn't seem like it was too big. It seemed big. You know, like now, it doesn't even seem that big. But back then, it seemed big. Um, but we knew it would play, and it did. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, switching gears here, I guess. Uh, what uh, you have a go-to finesse bait when when times are required? Which I feel like you're a little more open to finesse baits than you used to be. Oh yeah, yeah, much more. Um, I like drop shotting. I like. Uh, I'm big on that new Ned rig. Um, I caught a lot of fish this year in the fall uh, during the Bassmaster on a Ned. We caught them. I caught them on a Ned at uh, Cherokee. Louisville. Um, I mean, hell, dude, I caught a limit at Louisville. I was, like, ready to celebrate. Um, and, and a lot of that was due to the Ned Rig. Um, what else? I mean, that, that's really, you know, I mean, I, I still only have usually two spinning rods in my boat at all times. Like, that's max two. Um, you, might, you might need more than two when you get up on the northern swings. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, in general, yeah, traveling yeah. the country, um Dude, you say that, and I still may not carry more than two. I mean, I may I may throw a third one in, but that'll be it. Like, mm. dude, don't forget, I mean, Christy won St. Clair with a baitcaster in his hand. Like, yeah, I'm not saying you need it, but you, you can still do it, especially once we start talking about fishing deeper. Like, I, I've never been on the St. Lawrence, but once we get below 20 foot or so, when we start moving from that three-eighths to half-ounce weight on a drop shot, pitch that sucker out there on a baitcaster. Sure. Um, we're talking about a big tube, snapping them and stuff, baitcaster. Like, I know you guys use those spinning rods, but some of it's not necessary anymore because you no. can throw you can throw so far with a baitcaster now, you know. And um, I don't I'm know. a big I'm a big baitcaster for a tube, for sure. But like a Ned or a drop shot. The only reason I say that is like if you're on a really if you happen to be on a really good drop shot or Ned rig, you just might want multiples rigged up so you're not fussing with them when you're on a good drift or something. So that might mm-hmm. be the reason to have like like when uh, Justin Lucas like I mean this was not every fish counts, which is a little bit different, but I mean he literally had six rods identical rigged up so that if he ever got one like twisted up, he would just pick it up. You know, what I mean like mm-hmm. or catch a big one, you just switch. So. Uh, yeah, that's a good reason to have more than more than two or three for sure. And you know, you got to remember that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking about drifting. I haven't drift fished. In, I don't know how sure. long. I'm just saying, like, or you just like, you know, mold, you know, you you start talking about braid the leaders and having to retie a leader, and it's like, well, do I want to retie my, you know, I mean, 
we're all getting pretty fast at that. In the heat of the moment, though, it's just nice to be able to pick another one up. Absolutely, 110%. <laughs> Um, this is an interesting question. Charles asked, he's like, do you think the Chabite's ever going to lose its fish catching power sometime? Yeah. With the vibration being so distinct, you'd think these fish would really start to get, I mean, I think they have to some degree, but I think it's a question that they, but it's still, I mean, it's still gets them. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's kind of a interesting that that hasn't lost it faster in my opinion. Yeah. What do you think? I think that um, it's definitely lost some. I mean, you're like me. You remember when it first came out, and Brian Thrift was a co-angler and was just freaking smashing them. Um, it, it was it was the strongest bait that had come out at the time, kind of like an A-rig and anything else came out new. So it's not as strong as it once was. There's no doubt it'll lose its luster. I mean, it, it'll fall into a category like a spinnerbait at some point. I mean – you know, there's not many guys can catch them on a spinnerbait on a consistent basis anymore, and that used to be Kevin Van Dam's wheelhouse, right? So um, when he was spinnerbait and he was young and he dominated bass with a spinnerbait, those days are those days are gone. Like you can't you can't do that anymore. Not not the way he did it. Um, yeah. I think the one thing that may be different though is the chatterbaits. It will blow out, and you have a little more natural erratic action than some of the other baits, which I think maybe helps it maybe have a little more staying power. Yeah. I, dude, I can't hardly think of a bait that hasn't eventually faded. Um, sure. I'm not saying they won't continue to catch fish. They will, but. Um, Come back to the pack for sure. I guess a crankbait, you know, really hasn't faded. They've been catching them on that stupid thing for ever. Of course, we just have so many different variables of it, you know, at different depths and they see at different, different speeds and different everything. But, uh, you know, the lipless crankbait's not what it once was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everything just kind of finds its time and place, including the A-Rig, right? Um, the A-Rig's not what it once was. Yeah, I think Still. there's something about, like, there's, like, this is my theory. There's fish in lakes. I mean, like, fish are a little bit like people, right? Like, there's people that like steak. There's, like, people that like chicken. There's people that like seafood, right? Like, uh-huh. fish, probably, some are more aggressive. Some are more passive, right? They're probably, like, genetically will respond to things that thump harder, things that are flashy. I mean, there's certain fish. And I think when we come up with a new bait, we tap into a certain fish, like a population of fish that hasn't been uh-huh. shown that. Right. And that like, once we go through there and whack on them and you have delayed mortality and they get educated and right. And then they spawn out and like, right. You remove those from the pool. Right. I think that's, I don't think it's necessarily the fish like see it and they remember, I think it's like we end up like harvesting the fish that are teed into that. And then those fish are gone. And then it's like, I don't know, that's just one other way to look at it. I think. I know that I've, I've often felt like that the, they pass it down through their DNA, not to eat that anymore. I swear. It's like, you know, we know that that, that group of fish is dead and gone, right? Like the ones we used to catch with a salt crawl. Okay. Think right. about that. That was a great flipping bait at one time. Dominant. Great. And that thing, you know, today is nothing and for reason, you know, good reason, but, um, God, that thing was good, you know, and those fish are dead that were eating it. Like, so mm-hmm. nobody's seen it since then. So why can't you catch them on it now? I, I can't answer that question. Maybe it's what you say. Maybe they get keyed into it and we harvest those fish and those fish are just genetically pulled from the system <laughs> that we're going to feed a salt crowd. I don't know. I do. Bait, right? That was another thing. It That's is. Another yeah. bait. Um, 
the A rig, man, I, I do think it hurts some of our fisheries. Um, you know, we belly hooked them and we did all kinds of things to giant fish in our lake and in all our lakes. And I, I do think that that bait had a profound effect on some of our fish and fish populations and different things around the country. Um, I'm not against throwing it. I like throwing it around home. Um, it's not something that I just want to go do. If I can catch them on something else, I would prefer to. Sure. That's, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. A, I, so I missed the cut on Pickwick and I, I went to Wilson and I didn't have any with me because it was not legal in the Bass Nation tournament that I fished. And I was sitting there throwing a single Kitek next to a guy in a bass cat. And we were chatting and he was just like, I mean, he was catching mostly whites. But I mean, like he was catching them on every cast. And I was like, every like 20th cast, I'd catch one. And I was like, yeah. he's like, here's one I caught off the bottom you can have. And I tied it on mm-hmm. and put some new heads on it. And like first cast, boom. So it was uh-huh. just like, it was like when it's the deal, it's like so yeah. the deal. It's, but like I hadn't thrown one in forever and like only for like three hours. And I was like, Man, like feel like somebody beat me up, like, <laughs> like, and then it was like on the deck, and it was catching all my other rods. I was like, this thing is a pain. Yes, like, it's just... dude, I throw more rods in the lake throwing that thing. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is, but you know when you fire it out there and it catches like halfway oh, through the cast, like... it pulls the rod out <laughs> of my hand. I, I, I've actually lost a rod doing it. It, it's done that to me forever, and I never get used to it. Like it still continues to this day to to yank a rod out of my hand when I fish with it. But all yeah. the more reason to use uh, fifteen dollar Chinese reels if you're going to throw it in the lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get a lot about that, boy. Still, mentioned that one, time, one time, one time, I mentioned the Chinese reels on BTL, and like to this day, people message me and they're like, well, "Where can I find those?" Mm-hmm. And you try to help them, so you're like, you know, you'll message back ebay and then they're like where on ebay what you know and at that point yeah. i'm like dude if you can't google up 19 20 reel on ebay like you're on your own you need to have like a, a, a hotkey like a press default like that just pastes the standard response yeah 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 well they change that's the problem is that they yeah. change they change like the reels that i got the first two or three times like I, i've not seen those again you can't find them the reels that i bought last year you can't you can't find them um, I will say that the last year's batch was not near as good as the first two or three years batches were. Um, but still, you know, they're eighteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety nine. So my line costs more than that stupid reel does. And I change right. it on a daily basis. So if that reel gets too out of whack, I just throw it in the trash. Nice. <laughs> uh favorite top water. I think you said buzzbait earlier. Are there any topwaters, other ones you like? Do you like the floppers? Are you a walking bait guy? Uh, yeah, I like the spook baits, and uh, but I really do like a buzzbait a lot. I like the ploppers, too. I, I was big on that when that first came out. There's another bait that they've kind of gotten used to. Um, you know, I, I I like all topwaters. I guess it just depends on the situation. Um, when we were at uh, Hartwell this year, um, I, I really like all those blueback herring topwater baits, you know, that are diamond sticks and um, the bigger stuff, you know, the shower blows and pencil popper style baits. Those are really cool to throw. Um, a lot of fun, like especially if you can get on one of those places and they hadn't been beat to death by 500 of us going over them. But once they kind of get clued in by the end of the week, you're you're generally throwing something real small. <laughs> kind of takes the fun out of it. A funny story about that. 
so Hartwell was on the original Elite Series schedule this year, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Or Clarksdale, yes. one or two. And uh, I had an EMA, or not an EMA, a Paycheck the One Bone Crusher. You know what that is, right? It was their version. Of, it's like the big, it's like the big stick, but the okay. Bone Crusher. Um, but Paycheck, so that was Bob Tosh's thing, and they went out of business, and it was a really popular bait. And uh, oh, I have, I, some like, his, I have some of his stuff, but I don't have that one. Is that, yeah, the, so one, is that the one that's just basically a copy off of the 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 the, the spook bait? It's not, is it? You're talking no, about so, it's not, it's not, so the Repo Man was the Vixen. The Repo the Man, yes, yes. Version, which was the one, uh, and so it was more like a pencil popper style bait. And I was like, I'm not. I mean, the situations that I would throw this up here are so rare, and I need to rebuild my motor this year, so I put it up on eBay, and it sold for two hundred and twenty dollars to a Jay Williamson in South Carolina. <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> he was That's on eBay right. looking for him. Yeah, so there you go. Um, wow. So this is a good time. I want to talk about this. So I thought it was really interesting because I've kind of been watching you for a while. I mean, I'm kind of a, a bass junkie. I fish tournaments. I like to follow the tours. And I think your evolution in the last decade is a really interesting one, um, is that you've kind of always you have your roots in Oklahoma power fishing. Um, and I think you talked about some DTL that, you know, you rewind five years, the thought of you filming or anybody in your boat filming anything would have been a hard no. Mm -hmm. And the last year or two, you really like flipped uh, to the fact that, you know, you, you started this new channel that's been super successful. And I want to talk to you about that and kind of talk about why and how that, you know, evolution happened. And also I feel like Panger was telling me he saw you catching fish in 70 feet of water on table rock on a spinning rod. So like, yeah. So, like, I think there's just – you've kind of went through an interesting change. Maybe just talk a little bit about that. I think it's really cool. Um, early in my career, um, it was it was just about catching bass, you know, and um, the sponsor side of it was a nuisance and an aggravation. Um, you know, I feel like that, that we all sell this idea that that's not true um, as far as the money that's made – the majority, and I mean this, the majority of the guys on tour, there's no way they can make their house payments, truck payments, entry fees, um, kids, kids health care, um, just basic daily life. You, you can't do that. I'll sponsor money. And I learned that early on. And for me, it was like, man, you had to make a choice. You know, am I going to? Am I going to just keep trying to chase that unicorn to get that one or two, you know, title sponsors, which they do exist and guys do get them, but you know, you have them a year, maybe two years. If you're really lucky, you get them three years and then they're gone and you got to go chase another one. Or am I going to work, do something else when I come home and try to make money to support my family and, and, and do my part. And by 2006, I realized that I was never going to be Kevin Van Dam. And unless you're one of those one percenters, you know, and so like I'm not trying to crush anybody's dreams. If somebody's watching this or a kid, um, they do exist, but you better be one of those one percenters and you better be able to do it for many, many years. You know, you can't, you, when I say by one percent, it's like everybody out there can fish at an extremely high level, extremely high. And, those one percenters are one notch better. And I don't know what makes them that way. I, I room with them. They're some of my best friends in the world. They're great guys. 
but they've got something in their brain that they make the right decision nine times out of ten. And um, they make most of the money in this sport. They do. Um, so I went through that where I just kind of had to make that decision, and that was really the decision that I went with. Now, I will tell you that I think that it was the right decision for me 100% because I'm still in the sport and I'm still in the industry, and I think it's because of what I did. The decisions that I made then has a lot to do with that. Um, I've worked, you know, I was a plumber for 13 or 14 years from the age of 18 until I quit to fish the Elite Series, and then um, – when I was fishing the Elite Series, I would come home, I'd do side jobs, do this, that. Then I went to work in the uh, oil and gas as a landman, running title. I did that for seven years. Um, and then I started doing some real estate stuff and trying to do things to find some type of business where I could earn income and not have to be there every single day. Right. Um, and to do that seemed more profitable to me than chasing a unicorn. Or at least I felt like it was a unicorn, okay? Um you a little bit get some pushback, right? So, like, I wasn't 22 years old. I wasn't standing on the stage with two trophies on each shoulder at the time. Um, quite frankly, my Oklahoma accent's probably a little too thick and too much for some companies, you know. Um, it just – I wasn't the guy. It, it was very obvious to me, you know. They, they tell you without telling you. Does that make sense? And yeah. And I had children and I couldn't feed them. I mean, they're not going to grow up eating spinnerbaits. So I had, I, had, I had to come up with money. So um, that was the choice, the, the decision that I made and why. And so, therefore, I didn't need a whole lot of marketing time, TV, right. social media, like all that. Of course, social media was just coming on, you know, right. at that time. And not a lot of people really knew what the animal was. But so I rocked past that. And but then when I came back to the FLW tour, um, started having some success, you know, and, and one, one, one in Okeechobee and, and things kind of started rolling for me. Well, by this point, one, I have a lot of connections because I've been doing this a long time and I know a lot of people. Two, one of the main reasons I came back after I'd quit was, was like, I had to make a life changing decision. I mean, I really did. And it was this basically I'd quit, you know, I'd been at the elite series. I've been back home working for three or four years. I started fishing team stuff again. And, like I was really back into it. Like that fire was burning again that we all have as bass fishermen. And, um, you know, financially I thought I could do this, but I, I would be better off financially if I didn't, if I just stayed and worked and we did you know, all these other things. But like at the end of the day, man, this is what I want to do. So what's going to make you happy. Right. Right. So like, I'm never going to be a millionaire off sponsors. I'm never, you know, none of that's ever going to happen, but that's where I want to be. I want to be not just involved in the fishing part. I want to be involved in the whole thing. I want to be involved at ICAST. I want to be involved at bait design. I want to be involved in marketing companies. I want to be involved with Falcon who I've known those people forever, you know, from fishing in Oklahoma and not one time have I ever put them on my Jersey. Um, I wanted to work with these people and I mean, truly work with them, not, not just, Hey, pay me a little bit of money and I'll, you know, put a sticker on the side of my boat type deal. Like I want a relationship um, because this is what I want to do. And I think that decision probably happened somewhat with my age, but like, you know, we're not going to live forever, you know? So when your time's up, how do you, how do you want to look back and go, how did you spend it? And this is right here. What we're doing right now is exactly how I want to spend my time. 
And so when I look back 20 years from now, dude, this is what I want to say I did. So that's probably why you see such a different version of me from when I was on the Elite Series to me now. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, I mean, that was a really cool story. I mean, that, <laughs> that hits home for sure. I totally get it. That's, yeah. I mean, it, it truly is. And then, and then the YouTube deal, that was totally by mistake, dude. Totally by mistake. Even I had gotten into the social media stuff. I'd gotten all that. And I was understanding that. Like that part was important and I was enjoying that. And I was starting to work with companies. But the YouTube deal was different. The YouTube started from FLW had created the rule that was going to be no more co-anglers. Well, once they created that, they realized, hey, we're going to have a problem filling marshals just to ride because we have so many guys. Like the Elite Series can do it, but there's only 80 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, with us, it's going to be harder because there's 170 of us. So we know we're going to have that void. So how are we going to address, you know, controlling rules and things like that? So they came up with the rule that everybody had to run a camera. Well, at the time, I just like everybody else on the FLW tour, like, what the hell is a camera? What kind of camera? We're going to turn our phone on. We're going to go buy GoPros. So um, the first year of that was a huge learning experience. And you come back home, and we were just keeping the video for for if Bill Taylor was to call and go, hey, you've been, you know, written up for a rule violation. We want to see your camera, you know, or your right. card. So you, we kept all that stuff. That's really all we kept it for. But you know, you start getting all this footage from your day and you have a good day and you're like, Hey, I want to see me catch a seven pounder, you know? So you start watching it and you're like, Hey, I've got all this footage already here. Like, why don't I use it for something? And so then that kind of grew, if that makes sense. And I became more comfortable with the cameras. I became more comfortable talking in front of the camera. I became, you know, where you didn't feel like quite such an idiot, which I still do to this day. If I walk out in the parking lot and talk to my, camera, I feel yeah. like, an idiot. but it doesn't come natural, but, um, I enjoyed it. And then the editing process was a complete nightmare in the beginning and uh, still is to this day, but not, 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 not like it was, but uh, man, I enjoy that part too. And so then I started learning more about cameras and started talking to Scott Martin and like learning from him. And um, I had a lot of friends that knew a lot about it. Matt Pangrak and Mark Jeffries at Bass Talk Live definitely helped me tremendously with the editing issues. You know, um, I had to kind of evolve from, a very elementary editing system from my phone and my iPad, whatever, um, just using free, you know, iMovie or whatever to where I needed some more and want to be able to do some more stuff. So I went to Vegas pro and I went to Vegas because that's what they use. And I knew that they were right down the street and could help me. But I'll tell you that right. learning curve was steep, son. <laughs> Panger got some phone calls at night that I was not happy, but, uh, I got it. I got it. I got over it and I'm getting, I'm getting faster every day, but I enjoy it. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that has helped me be successful um, in YouTube early on. Cause this year, I mean, dude, I'm fixing to hit 10,000 subscribers and I've only been there one year. I couldn't be more appreciative. The feedback that I get from it is just, it's overwhelming. Um, YouTube has been a great, great deal for me. Like it's just kind of helped me grow and become, um, like you say, like somebody else, um, it's just a, it's another platform for me to be able to work, but it's, it's, it's the most enjoyable platform that I've ever worked on in fishing. If that makes sense for me personally, I enjoy it a yeah. lot. Yeah. And I think you do some cool stuff and I've, I've been actually really impressed. Like the thought of getting 10,000 subs in a year is pretty sweet. I'm pretty stoked when I've like gained like 2000 subs in a year. So, um, <laughs> One thing I want to highlight, and I don't know if, like, if everybody has seen your stuff, but one of the series that I think, and I don't know, it's probably not your most popular, 
but I think this Hallman High School fishing is, I think, yeah. is a really unique thing, and I think it's underrated uh, what you're doing there. Uh, maybe just you can probably describe it better than I can. Maybe just give a little. It was an idea that I had early this year. So, like, I wanted to do a series. And so, like everyone in YouTube, especially early in their YouTube, you know, we're just throwing paint on the wall to see what sticks. But but this idea was just like you say, man, when it kind of came in my head, I, I really liked it. So, it's, it's, it's basically a matchup between me and a high school kid. Um, and I give them control of the boat, just like they're the pro and I'm the co-angler. And they can fish wherever they want. They can go wherever they want, and they get first cast and first shot at everything, just like it's a pro-am event. And it kind of gives me the opportunity to teach some of the co-angling ethics that go unwritten rules that kind of go unsaid in our sport. Because that's where a lot of these kids are headed, you know, out of high school. They go to college, but there's going to be a lot of co-angler stuff if they go to BFLs or Federation or whatever. There's going to be a lot of co-angler situations for them going forward. So I like that, that mindset. I do teaching timeouts during the period, so I'm really trying to help the kids, you know, focus in on some things like with an hour or two into the day, I've seen a couple of things that I noticed that they're doing mistakes. And so I call a teaching timeout and I turn the camera on and I explain to them, you know, what I see that they're missing, trying to help them have a better day. That kid right there learned really quick. <laughs> and, uh, but but they do, you know, this kid, this one right here, that one right there on the left, those big fish, he was overlooking the grass bed. There wasn't very much grass on that lake, but the one the, where the grass was, there was giants in it. And uh, by the end of the day, he'd figured it out. He went back, and I think he beat me at the very end because he catches like a seven or eight pounder. But really, it's not about, so we weigh, we keep our three best fish, and at the end of the day, we have a gentleman's bet. Usually, they get a falcon rod if they beat me. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a day with a kid. I'll tell you this, it, it was – it was not my most successful videos on YouTube, and that part is disappointing to me to this day. And I don't really know why, but um, they were the most enjoyable videos for me to make. And let me say this right. They were the most enjoyable videos for me to shoot. Being involved in that day was, was the most fun that I had. Um, editing was – I've got a lot of cameras going, and I've got yeah. a lot of footage. And so when I come back, they're the biggest – hardest thing to edit um they're kind of a monster there but uh yeah they 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 did well but they didn't do just they didn't just go over the moon like i hope they would um i don't think i've got one more left i filmed one in the east tennessee after we got done with one of the last opens and i haven't released it yet and uh, i'm trying to get that out before the for 2021 so coming up the next couple of weeks but um, that kid was phenomenal. He's probably one of the best fishermen I've been in a boat with. He's only 13 years old. I'm telling mm -hmm. you, kid, this little kid coming up the next one is a freaking hammer. Um, but the kids were all enjoyable. Um, one of the kids that, that I fished against here in Oklahoma, he he was a senior in high school. He he's at Bethel now. You know, in Bethel, if you guys don't know, that's the that's the powerhouse. That's like the that's like the Alabama of, of <laughs> yeah. college fishing, you know, and uh, he's over there now. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's given me some, I've had some really, really good young fishermen in my boat this year and, and learned a lot. And, and I enjoy doing that with them. Yeah, that's cool. I definitely wanted to borrow that this year locally here and kind of do some stuff, but like yeah. the COVID was so strict. I mean, like they really like the schools, like our high school teams were not like, they were all virtual tournaments. So I just feel like I didn't think it was in the best 
political move to do it, but I definitely want to borrow that and do that with some local stuff here in Minnesota this summer. And, and you know, a few, few high school teams I already work with and take some of those kids out and do something. I think it'd be really cool. I think if the right person got it or if it got in front of the right person, you know, I mean, it would make a great TV show, a great YouTube series. I mean, it, it, it's really got a lot of upside to the idea of doing it that way. Um, you know, and it's a great opportunity for those young men to get in the boat and learn. And, um, and they do. They learn a lot. And, you know, they're young and they make quite a few mistakes, some of them. So a lot of it's the same thing over and over with a different kid. They just got a blind spot somewhere. And as soon as you correct that blind spot they have, it's amazing, dude. They're just like – they adjust, they adjust quick. I mean, quick. Sean O'Brien says, what's your best advice for college or high school kid? My best advice to any of the kids that want to fish high school or college, rule number one is remember that you're there to have fun. Enjoy the process of what you're doing. Don't make it all about winning, losing. I got to catch a 20-pound bag. I want to win this, qualify for that. Like, just try to really enjoy the experience. I think that's the biggest that's the biggest thing I tell. I know that's what I tell my kids at Oklahoma and the high school kids that I, that I work with and fish with. Like That's number one. Like I'm not saying that you can't work and try hard and want to do it. I'm just saying don't lose. Don't get so tight in a tournament day that, that it makes it to where it's unfun, if, if that makes sense. Because I see kids, they get they kind of get behind the eight ball, and, you know, it's a long day, and they don't understand that, and they haven't caught a fish in the first few hours, and they kind of get down, and then they're beating themselves up, and they're just too hard on themselves. Like, you got to remember why you're here to begin with is really you're here to enjoy yourself, have fun, and have fun with the process, and not getting bit for a couple hours is part of it. Yeah. Cool. Oh, man. So many good questions. <laughs> Oh, I guess I feel like I had something I was going to ask you, but then I kind of blanked. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think that's a huge thing is like, you don't want to be so casual that the kids are like, you know, dangling their feet in the water off the back of the boat. But yeah, you don't want to be so mad and angry that you're, you know, it's, it's, that's the one thing about fishing, right? There's still that, like, uh, even in tournament mode, there's still something about being outside. There's nature. There's, you know, the, you know, the, you don't want to forget that and lose that uh, in the process. Well, I mean, it's just like high school sports of any kind. Yeah. High school football, high school basketball. Not everybody can be on the state champion team. Not everybody's going to be a five-star kid being, you know, picked up at Oklahoma's calling you on the phone and wants you to travel five miles, five states away to come play quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. Not everybody's going to get that. But it doesn't mean that there's not a million quarterbacks out here in the country playing high school football because there are. And they're all, you know, you've got to have a good time and enjoy it. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're, we're all grown men, so we can see that looking back. But, you know, when we were in high school, think about, you know, if you played sports or if your buddy was sports or whatever, you know, you know how hard you were on yourself or you know how hard he was on himself. You kind of get what I'm saying at some point. Like, you want to be hard on yourself to get better. I'm not saying that. You want to try to improve as much as you can. But don't beat yourself into oblivion over it because at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're doing this to have fun. And there's more uncontrollables in this sport than there is in any of those sports you played on the field <laughs> in high school. So, Yeah, and there, there's, 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 a lot of, uh, there's a lot of natural to this too. Mm -hmm. uh, it, there just is. And it's just like – in every other sport, this kid can jump higher, this kid can run faster, and for whatever reason, this kid over here seems to make the right decisions about catching a bass. He just he just does. 
that it, some people are fishier than others. It's hard to explain. One hundred percent. Yeah, there's guys that like. I mean, like back in my club days, there was so many guys like they could regurgitate and tell you all the right things out of the Vast Master magazine as if you know, like, okay, it's, you know, like it's cloudy, I should, it's windy, I should be throwing a spit. You know, what I mean, like, like they could say all the things, but then when it came to fishing, they just they just weren't. They didn't get it done. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're saying. So let me just lighten up. So like, I guess you got any, like, is there anything like your traveling crew up? Yes. that was a pretty fun environment for the most part. Yeah. Um, like what, is there anything like a couple positives or a negative of traveling with a group or the 20 times? It's like just maybe a couple of antidotes from the season. Um, that group that I traveled with this year, I mean, I know for YouTube purposes, um, was a huge positive. And when I say that, I, I don't mean that in a uh, aspect of like, we know we got a bunch of subscribers because of Scott that actually didn't work that way. I actually thought we'd get a lot more rub off than we did, but um, for whatever reason, Scott's core. Yeah. is different than my core. And, and we kind of learned that with Andrew and Todd and I working together. Todd, I think you, you Todd, three, I think Andrew, yeah. you and Todd had a lot of synergy. We do. We do. But even Todd and I are more like with I'm talking about just our fan base, the people that like us, right? Like we can't pick that. We turn it on and we answer questions right. and we kind of know who's following us. Andrew's is a little bit different than even mine and Todd's. Um, Todd's and I seem to be very close to the same. Todd and I both have a very strong regional background. So like, mm -hmm. you know, I've I've done a lot of coasts, Everstart, Strands, Opens, um, in this region, Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas, Arkansas, and Todd has as well. So I think that was part of it. Andrew um, qualified for the Bassmaster Classic in college. You know what right. I mean? And he kind of just went straight to the national tour, and, and that's pretty much where he had stayed. So I think that's part of it. Um, Todd and I are a little closer to age. Andrew's a little younger than us. That's part of it as well. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, the positives, like, we've all been friends for a long time. So this, like I say, for the YouTube part, it looks like, you know, it's like a new band together, but honestly, I've been friends. Well, today Scott released a video on YouTube that there was actually a discovery channel video last year. He just mm -hmm. released it today and it's he and I fishing and hell we recorded that in I think 2018 in Oklahoma. So, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. Um, Todd and I go back for, I mean, dude, I remember when I first met him and he was just starting to fish and he had a boat that would barely make it to his fishing back if it didn't catch on fire, or blow up, or he was always something with that piece of junk. But, um, and I met Andrew through Todd probably somewhere around 2009 or 10. So, um, we've all known each other a long time and been friends a long time. So it was kind of cool to all get together and stay together. Uh, we learned a lot from Scott, um, from the, uh, side of, of, of creating video a uh, process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's obviously, he's got a whole entourage that works and, and does his editing and stuff. But, um, that dude has a work ethic that is extremely impressive. Yeah. Uh, I say extremely dude. I mean, he's at the top of the game because that dude works like no other. Um, his personality that you see on video is who he is. Um, so that aspect with the way I've kind of built my YouTube and Todd too, and Andrew as well, is like, we just were ourselves and what you see with Scott, that's really who he is. He's kind of a prankster and likes to joke and, you know, make people laugh. And, uh, 
but he's still a dude. His work ethic's insane. So, yeah, we got a lot of positives out of that. Um, got a lot of positives just learning, you know, about how to shoot video, what, what kind of structure your day, right? Like, like, right. like, what do you do? Like, okay, if I'm going to like do this, I need to like make time in the morning to, to mm-hmm. do an intro. I need to like, and, and, like, and I'll be honest with B-rolls. I need to like recap. I got to take time to like make a break at lunch and tell them what happened. You know what I mean? Like there's just for yeah. a guy like me, it's still hard and I still yeah. miss opportunities. And then I know guys that watch my videos can tell, dude, I don't catch a four pounder and naturally turn to the camera in a tournament and talk. That is, I don't even think about it. Like, I don't even remember that camera's in the boat. When I hook a four-pounder, all I'm thinking is, is holy crap, I bet there's another one there, and I want it. That's Mm -hmm. all I can think about is catching another four-pounder. And I mean, I might not think about it all day. Not not once. I don't even think about it until I've packed up, came home, put my card in my, you know, I'm fixing to make a video, and I'm like, dude, you just fished for three days, and you didn't say one word to that camera. Um (laughs) I'm it should be harder on the editing, right? Because then you have to put more time in, huh? and you you see that a lot in your videos is that you do a lot of like recapping and voiceover at home because and then just and, it, and you can do that and it doesn't necessarily affect the final product, but it requires you to like double down on your time on the editing. One hundred percent, it takes a lot more time, and um, it, and quite honestly, I like the way it looks. If I would do it on the water, I think Panger does a phenomenal job with his. He he talks to his camera nonstop. But, man, when I'm on the water, it's just the way that I, I've been engraved for so long. It's a hard habit to break. Man, I'm there for one thing, one thing only. My mind's on catching the fish, not while I'm making a video. And, um, you know, I've gotten better at it. Like I say, I enjoy this process. So when I come home, I know that's my other part. Scott's great at it, you know. Yeah, um, I still, like, I can't wear a chesty. I, I like chesties. I like the I like the angle and the things that it's giving me. I see the bonuses of that. And, like, I can wear one now if we go fish a high school fishing matchup or if we go make a YouTube video. But for me to put one of those chesties on on a tournament, dude, like. I'm going to show you something, Brad. It would drive me crazy. No. So this is what you need. Another thing that's great about a chesty is the audio you get from it. That's correct. That is correct. So I have this. It's called a snap mount kind of a mess in my bag but all you do so you don't have to wear that big strap so you have this lanyard it goes around your neck okay and this is a magnet so it goes under your shirt and then you have this it just sticks to it okay so you don't have the straps and everything over like your shirt your your you just put this under your t-shirt and your hoodie in the morning and then you get out in the water you just just sticks right there how heavy is that metal that that camera's mounted to? Because it's got to have metal if it's a magnet. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's, but it, it'll go through. A, it'll go through a sweatshirt. Yeah, I mean, you can't wear it through a jacket, but you can wear it through a hoodie. Okay. Yeah, that's a, what's that called? It's called a snap mount. Snap mount. Like, like thirty bucks, maybe. Really, I'll check into that. Yeah, I'll send you a text or a DM or something. But that's what I do. Yeah. And then you like you don't like if you want like if you're wearing a Sunline hoodie or whatever, right? You don't have like straps over your jersey and everything and like right and like if you want to peel off you pop it off and like you want to strip down to your long sleeve sunline shirt or your afco mm-hmm. just pop the camera off take your hoodie off and then the magnet side of that one you just... yeah i'm gonna check into that i think i can try that for 30 bucks see if i like it or not um yeah. i'm looking for any kind of option there i still don't know if i could wear it in a tournament though just for the simple fact sure. Dude, i just don't want that camera in my wheelhouse when i'm swinging and but i do agree it makes the audio it's got a lot of benefits <laughs> 
I wish we could figure out another angle. That's another thing that I like. I guess the Scott hadn't figured it out yet. Maybe there was not one that really yeah. exists. I see I a few people putting a session up here, but that's still like those are still they feel heavy. I don't know. I can't get used to having. I just want something that's in front of me, looking back instead of behind me all the time. You know, because it's always your back that it's filming. Um, sure. Maybe a pole that comes off the front of your trolling motor or something. And I think the thing is there, if you're going to mount something that far up on your boat, <laughs> better be a really solid mount. <laughs> mount. <laughs> because, like, that's going to take the beating. Like, you put something on the dash. I mean, it's sure it bounces, but, like, you can't grab it. Like, you put something on the bow. Yeah. it's. Well, what I'm thinking is, is it's on the trolling motor, so it's only way out there in front whenever the trolling motor goes in the water. But then when you pull the trolling motor back up, it would be – you know, down the side. That thing's going to be horizontal, and then when you're running down the lake, it's like this lever, right? Like it's. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but I'd like to get a different camera angle. It's not just from our backside every single time, but I don't want to start running three and four cameras fishing tournaments either because that's just more editing as well. I don't enjoy. So let's talk about this. This is we're on YouTube. I don't enjoy um, the tournament videos. It's not has nothing to do with the information. I don't want to share anything like that. You don't enjoy making them or you don't enjoy. I don't enjoy making them. I don't think they're very good videos. I don't like digesting them. I don't watch anybody else's. I think they're the worst thing ever. Um, I like the videos that you just make here at the house, like the last two or three that I've dropped where, you know, it's about a topic or something or like what we're doing right now. Or um, I like doing stuff here at the house. You know, uh, I like going and doing a little series where I just go to these little city lakes they're public lakes with boat ramps on them anybody can go to i like going to them and dropping a boat and turn on a camera and fish for eight hours and see what i can smash out of there and uh sometimes i have a lot of success doing that and you know it, it ruins some little lakes guys get mad at me but dude that's why i'm doing it so people don't have to drive you know and it, it pertains to people who live right where you live like you know not everybody's got to drive to some big giant lake where all the tournaments go out of to catch a lot of fish you know you can do it um just fishing right there by the house but um it's it's a big deal here um i like it i enjoy those videos more than i enjoy just making tournament videos sure yeah i'm kind of mixed i definitely have some people that say they they love tournament videos yeah like so it's well, but i think it is a little harder to do a good tournament video right because if if you're going to add value right you need to share some info right and so like if you're not gonna take the time and set it up and, yeah. and stop like you know like there's a big difference if you can stop and and, and give the interjection and and and, and help them explain what decision you made and what you did and why yeah. you did this yeah. then i think it can be a good video but if it's just yeah blast off 10 hook sets right video but yeah it's the other thing is is there's just so much of it out there like that's what a lot of guys are doing right. and um i i sure don't think of myself as being innovative or anything like that but i do try to come up with things that are um, like the high school fishing is something somebody hadn't done um you know i don't know the other day i got the idea to put that stupid uh santa claus hat on my head and you know go down to my uh local tackle store here and make a video about you know christmas baits um but i i like that idea you know it was different it was something that wasn't out there yet and uh you know it was fun to shoot Actually, it brought me to a new series that I was thinking about for next year. I just spilled my beans right here. Somebody will probably copy it and take it already. But um, I travel so much around the country. Um, I did the high school deal this year, and um, I'd like to throw some more paint on the wall going forward for next year. But I was thinking about doing a, a series called uh, Tackle Store Wars, 
there are some just astronomically awesome private, private yeah. tackle stores that are on some of these world famous lakes, like the waterfront at, at Gunnersville. You know, um, I, at one time Bassmaster was doing some stuff in their magazine where they would talk about 10 different tackle stores in the country or rate them or something. But, um, you know, next year on the opens, I'm going to be all over the United States. And I think that'd be a really cool deal if I could get the owner of each store to spend, you know, a couple of hours. We just go in, look at the store, talk about the background, the history, <clears throat> and then go through, you know, the top 10 baits that sell there on that lake. You find know, some, find some gems discontinued. You find some old. Oh, yeah. So we can do, oh, yeah, you can do the part where they've got all the antique stuff and the, yeah, the stuff that everybody wants and nobody can get. Or just like you, you go to this lake and it's like, Man, they they crush them on deep crankbaits here, right? You go here, and this this lake yeah. is about yeah. this kind of yeah. yeah. So you get your best sellers of each place, and then you also are going to be able to get, you know, what's your most expensive lure in the store? I mean, I'm wondering if that series would do well. Um, well I can tell you that Baxter, the bait man, who's kind of a bait junkie in the in the Kentucky Lake area, he does very well talking about baits, and he's done some some trips to some unique tackle stores that have been pretty popular. So yeah. Um. I'm obviously, not, you'd, have your own, you'd have your own spin to it and your own uh, angle. Yeah, yeah, because you know, I'm, I'm not into, I'm not a bait junkie. I really, I really am not. I throw a lot of different baits, but my baits basically just has to do with what I think I catch fish on. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think it would be a fun series to do. Um, Although you might lose money, spend all that time at tackle stores, you end up buying more yeah, than me. That's fine. <laughs> Jeez, my garage is already. I could probably do one in there. Yeah, nice. I do think the cool thing, I think that the key to a tournament video, I think that people, like, if you build the relation, if you only do tournament videos, I don't think that's, like, that's really, like, right. I think what you have, like, when you have a mix of videos and your other videos build that relationship with your viewers and your fans and your subscribers where they're emotionally invested in you and they want to see you do well, then I think the tournament videos are kind of the payoff that they kind of, they join that journey for you, but. That, that, that's true. You know, and I see that a lot with Panger's videos. Um, like I say, I think he does a remarkable job with his uh, tournament videos. I, I think his are some of the best out there, quite honestly. And some of them are a lot, spend a lot more money to have them produced and everything else. But I think his are really, really good. Um, I just, you know, I just feel like so many guys do them and it's just hard to find sure. another spin of a way to, to do them than to just name here we are day three of Lay Lake. I just... I don't know that other side me, but I will tell you this: my fan base likes them, so yeah. I, I got to keep making them, and I understand that. But like, I just I find myself not even wanting to edit them when I come home. I want to work on something else. Although, if you if you were hosting a blue trophy, you'd be more motivated, I think, to tell that story. <laughs> you know, yeah. probably like like that's the thing is like when you go out and you have a sixty seventh place finish in a hundred boat tournament, that's when you're really not motivated to make a tournament video. Right. Yeah. Dude, imagine if well, I went the wrong way. If I could have if I could have had that YouTube camera on when I won those two and like and I had all that video and I was YouTubing at the time, how much fun that would have been. Like right. dude, I don't even need a I don't even need a magazine writer to call me or a TV like I can I can promote myself on this deal. Like I got it. We're gonna make Castle and I was talking about like if I won one of them, dude, I'd have a video popping every hour for the next four weeks. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, man, I made a good decision there. Man, that was yeah, man, that was yeah. smart. You see me pick that spinnerbait up and catch a five yeah. pound? <laughs> no, but yeah, I wish I wish I had a camera rolling on some of those days. Um, some of those days were really special. One of those trophies was at a 
in Georgia on Lake Lanier, and I had yeah. 24-pound uh, spotted bass. And, like, when that day happened, as it was happening, I knew, like, you're never going to have a day like this again the rest of your life with, with this species of fish, you know. It's just right. – it was stupid. Um, Which I think, and I, like, for you at that time, kind of, like, surprised some people. Like, uh, you know, I don't think anybody was surprised that you went to Florida and you caught a bunch of fish flipping, right? Like, but right. to go to there and catch mostly spots and, and like, that was like, wow. Holman maybe does know more than one thing, right? Like, I think people yeah. were impressed at the time, so that's cool. Yeah. I feel like we'd be remiss if, like, there's been a few people. So I think a few people said they like Tackle Wars ideas, so positive response from uh, the people that hang out here. What, uh, you run Garmin. You've been playing off LiveScope. Like, uh, what are your thoughts? LiveScope, is it something that's growing on you? Like, is it, besides crappies, like, what are you overall, like, how much do you use it? Like, do you lean on it? Is it a specialty tool for you? Is it something you're still trying to grasp all the ways you can use it? Yeah, it, it's it's a huge tool for me. I mean, if I sit here and try to play like it was just something that's in my boat and it's a sponsor product and it's it's great and it's wonderful, dude, I'd be, I'd be pulling the blinds down over your eyes. It's massive for me. Um, you were talking about Panger, talking about me fishing at Table Rock and 80 foot. Um, we were up there for three days and I caught every, I mean, and we caught them good. Um, caught a lot of fish and it was a little tournament deal. And I think on the second day we had second or third biggest bag of the day, um, 75, 85 foot of water. And, um, some of those fish in 75, 80 foot of water, some of them in 25, 30 in the middle of the water column, but that is all, all because of live scope. Um, it's a, it's a big deal for me. Uh, it's a big deal for a lot of guys. I mean, you're seeing guys win tournaments, right? Um, uh, Lake Fork, and you're going to continue to see tournaments won with that technology. Um, there's kind of a technology war going on right now. Obviously, I saw where Lorance dropped, and also you saw where all their pro staff guys are dropping videos and stuff about it. And it's, I haven't seen it yet, but it's better than the one that they had before, I'm sure. And um, Hummingbirds got theirs coming, and, and it may even be, you know, on 360. I don't know, but um, that technology is there, and they're having those wars. I know that. Um, not when I've been on BTL, but I watch sometimes, just like you guys do, and uh, and I watch the comments. And if LiveScope comes up, there's a lot of people really. Um, they're like, well, yeah, you know, that's great if you can afford it, you know. But man, I wouldn't stay on that bandwagon too long. That's all I'm saying, because uh, that sucker makes a difference, you know. It's uh, I understand the price is a, an issue, but. That son of a gun catches fish, man. And it's not just guys talking, trying to sell them. Like, it's legit. I darn sure made the latest hummingbird purchase that I made would be compatible when they come out with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make sure that unit I bought was going to be ready for it. Let's put it that way. So. Do you think the hummingbird's going to be as good or better? Or like, I, we don't I, know. I think, I think this, this initial version that comes out is going to be comparable to what Garmin is like, it's going to be that same style transducer. I do think they are working on a live 360, but I don't think that's what's coming out next, if that makes sense. Right. Not that I'm like an insider on Hummingbird by any means. So, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I've talked to the people that I thought would know, and they were like, dude, we have no idea. Um, I don't see Hummingbird dropping something that's not good, though. Um, no, I, I think it'll be, it'll be very functional and Mm -hmm. I don't think you'll be, I'm sure one of them, one, you know, whatever, I don't know, you know, one of them is going to rise to the top, but I think 
this current generation that's going to come out, they're all going to be very functional. I don't think they're going to look like two years ago, Lorant's version, which yeah. kind of was a little rushed, right? From yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it just didn't seem to work as well with guys I talked to. I, I did talk to a couple of their guys. Jacob Perosnick told me that he he definitely can catch fish off of it. So um, Perosnick could catch a fish out of my bathtub in there too. But um, he uh, – he, he convinced me that he for sure can see what he's looking at. And his, his viewing distance was shorter than mine and the garments, but, but he definitely could use it to his advantage. Yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't unusable, but it just wasn't as refined, right? It just. Yeah, for sure. And there's some guys that are a lot better with it than others. Um, I don't put myself in that, that top tier category, but I definitely have come a long ways in the last two years with it. There's no doubt about that. I'm doing some pretty remarkable stuff with it. Um, but I do love it. I love the technology, and I think that's where the sport's headed. I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, earlier I was talking about getting an edge, and, and, you know, in, in, in this sport with, by using a certain kind of boat, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, the real edge right now is technology. That's really where it's at. I mean, that's the day and age we're in, right? I mean, Best Buy's big all over the United States, whether it's computers or making videos or the deal you just showed me to clip your camera on. I mean, that's where we are. That's where we get edges is technology. And um, sport of bass fishing is no different. That's that's honestly where the edges probably are going to be for the next few years going forward. You know, um, technology wars and and using that technology to benefit you the best way you can. I mean, that's why you see the guys running two and three different brands and things of that nature is because every brand does something a little bit better than the other. So why not run all three? So uh, that's what they do. Yeah. Well, man, this has been sweet, Brad. I mean, we already went over two hours. I don't know if it feels like that, but I don't want to keep you all night. Um, hope you enjoyed it. I did. Uh, I told you. I told you when I was messaging, we'd probably get a little geeky and just get way into the the, the weeds on different topics. Um, but so for those that are tuning in late, uh, you can always watch the replay on YouTube. There's always the podcast version that'll be available. I'll pin that in the comments or the description. Uh, make sure you guys check out Hallman's. Uh, there's links to his Instagram and YouTube page. If you don't know how to Google it or search it, that's also be in the description below. Uh, he's got a lot of great content. So if, if you enjoy my content, you're more than likely going to enjoy Brad's. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So otherwise, yeah, you can search Hellabass anywhere, social media, podcasts. You can find it if you want to catch the full replay and listen to this while you're walking the dog or lifting weights or driving to the next tournament or lake. So. Anything else you want to touch on, Brad, before we, we head out? No, I, I'm surprised two hours has gone by, dude. I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate you having me on today for sure. It's a, It's been a good evening to uh, talk about fishing. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, look forward to following you. Uh, stay in touch, and hopefully we uh, you have a big win, and we can have you back on and, uh, and talk again sometime. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Dude, I appreciate your support, too, fan base and everything. That's one of the main reasons I was like, yeah, I'll do it, no problem, because you're always so supportive on all my different channels and platforms, and I do really appreciate that, man, very much. Yeah, cool. Well, as always, guys, uh, here to help you catch more bass and suck less, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time.
As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <laughs>